five. Now this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Rock All Over You Podcast! Let's rock! Eric and Edwin! Edwin and Eric! They don't give a fuck! They just want you to rock! Yeah! Bam 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 dilly dee! Bam bam bam! Hello everyone, welcome to the Rock All Over You podcast. We're going to do a little intro before this next episode, the long, long-awaited Sergeant Pepper's Part 2 episode. I'm joined with my good buddy Edwin Canastracci. How are you, brother? Doing good, man. Doing good. No complaints. Yeah, so, man, there's a long delay with this episode, and we figured we'd uh, do a little intro because we got a lot of people to thank for helping us with what happens. And explain, too, to maybe some of the newcomers, like, what went on, why this episode took forever to upload, when it should have been, like, upload, you know, the week after. Um, yeah, we, we we had a lot of fucking issues with iTunes. It was uh, a lot of issues with the fucking iTunes, man. So, fucking, I think it was, I uploaded the Sgt. Pepper episode, and uh, Mark, or someone, I believe it was Mark, because, you know, Mark... Mark Allen Taylor, man, I, I want to give a shout to him because he helped us a lot. Like, he was probably the biggest help to us, but he was the first one to hit me up saying the episode wasn't on iTunes. And it happened to us before, like, an episode didn't show up on iTunes, but it just took, like, a little bit longer to upload because by the time someone messaged me that, it was already on iTunes. Yeah, so I didn't think took, much of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just had a little lag time, that's all. Yeah, and from what I hear, too, iTunes usually takes a little bit longer than everywhere else. So I, I legit didn't think much of it. I just, you know, I was like, ah, eh, whatever. It's, it's, they take forever. Well, I, I checked back like later that day and the episode still wasn't on iTunes and I started getting a little nervous and, uh, uh, you know, I hit up, uh, I think it was you. I hit up Mark, a couple of our people and, uh, yeah, just, I think it was from our name change. I don't know what the hell it was from, man, but I think it was like our name change or something tweaked, uh, the whole Apple thing. And I mean, I've always had issues with Apple. Like, Apple's the most difficult format to get your podcast on. Like, it you have to jump through so much bullshit to to work iTunes. And sadly, it's you know it's a necessary evil. Like, our show has to be on on iTunes because that's where we get all of our reviews from, and that's ma- mainly where most people listen to. And even when I checked our stats, you know, the highest percentage of listeners we get are from iTunes. So I, I knew we had to fix it. And man, this is just you know. It, it was weeks of us just going back and forth with this, trying to figure this shit out. I know you hit up Ian and uh, Chris Sinzak. I, I even hit up Chris Sinzak. It was just, it was a pain in the ass, man. Yeah. So what eventually did it? Well, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna sound because we are here. on iTunes now. Just for the record, We're we are back on. on iTunes. And the cool thing is, too, uh, our episodes are a little disorganized on iTunes for a little bit there, but they finally fixed that issue as well. Which I was more concerned with just, I just wanted to get our episodes back up on iTunes, but then they fixed the ordering because the order got kind of scrambled we, we up We should there. explain for some people, especially younger people if they're listening to this, when we say iTunes, we mean Apple, Apple. Podcast. Apple Podcast. I yeah. still call it fucking iTunes. I'm an call, OG guy. <laughs> I call my Apple library on my you know computer, I call it iTunes still, even though yeah. it's not. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. what we mean. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but... uh Man, it was just like, dude, it, it was really just, you know, weeks. And even even my coworkers were asking me, like, dude, are you okay, man? It just seems like, you know, 
you seem like kind of sad lately or like kind of <laughs> upset. And I'm, I'm like, I finally told him, I'm like, listen, it's kind of a stupid reason why I'm upset, but like, fuck it, motherfucking iTunes fucked up my podcast, man. And, <laughs> Oh, like, it, it was just stressful, man, every day, you know, and I, I work, you know, like, you know, you and I both work, you know, we, we do this out of love, we, me and Edwin aren't getting paid to do the Rock All Over You podcast, man, I, we, we work normal jobs, too, and, uh, I mean, I mainly do all the, the editing and everything, uh, Edwin brings the, the charisma and the personality, you know, but, uh, I, I, I do the editing and all that, and, you know, I love doing it, but it, it gets a little much at times, and, uh, when that was thrown on top of all that, holy shit, it was just overload of stress, you know, and uh, every lunch break I had and, like, every little bit of free time I had, I was trying to figure out this goddamn iTunes bullshit, and, uh, man, it was just fucking stressful, and, and Mark, uh, Mark Alantero is one of the guys that really helped me out, because he was always showing me different things, trying to get me help, this motherfucker was working and, like, on his phone at the same time, like, helping me out, so... You know, Mark Alantara, I fucking love you, brother. You know, you, you really helped out this podcast big time. Thanks but, a lot, Mark. Yeah, and he's yeah. always been a big support. And, hey, the next episode after this one is going to feature him, so that's appropriate. Hell yeah. Yeah, so there you go. And, uh, but yeah, dude, yeah, I mean, he was a big help. I want to give a shout-out to Jimmy James Schwartz. He didn't do anything except he was the guy that finally broke the news that, hey, man, your your podcast is finally on iTunes. And I was like, what? And, like, I looked it up, and that's when it was finally all good. So, Jimmy James, thanks for being the, the messenger of the good news, or, or you know, Paul uh, Paul Revere or whatever. I don't know what, what to call it, but... <laughs> Actually, that was bad news Paul Revere had. Yeah, yeah, the Paul Revere fuck everyone up. That was, not, that was not good news. <laughs> that was not good news, so, yeah. He wasn't <laughs> Paul Revere. But, uh, man, you know, Chris... Paul Revere and the haters, you know. Yeah, Chris... I know, con, uh, man. Yeah, Chris Sinzak, uh, Ian Wadley, and uh, Wayne Noon as well, man. Wayne Noon, he, we, we legit almost ended up going to, uh, I forget what the fuck it's called, Anchor? Uh, we almost went to Anchor, which, uh, you know, that was like our plan. We were gonna legit take a, a month off, and uh, we were just gonna, we were gonna get the episode, the part two uploaded to Podbean, just for the people that are awaiting the part two. And we were just going to take a hiatus, and if we didn't figure it out, we were going to end up just taking everything down off Podbean and just going over to Anchor, which was sucked though, because we would have lost all the kind of progress we made, all the views and this and that. Um, and it, so it was kind of a letdown, but luckily that, that was the day where we finally found out it started working. And I, I'm, I'm not going to lie, dude, I, I don't know what the hell I did to make it work. I was, uh, I'm like the equivalent of that guy just pressing buttons until something finally worked. I mean, that's what happened, but hey, it worked, everything's back to normal now, and uh, hopefully we, we don't have any more issues, but I want to thank Wayne Noon as well, man, he was really a big help uh, as well, uh, I, think, I just want to thank everyone that offered their advice, if I forgot someone that maybe early on sent us a message or something, but you know, I want to thank all the fans too that support us, man, keep supporting us. Keep dropping fucking uh, reviews, man. Our, our iTunes reviews have been a little slow lately, and uh, it's been kind of breaking my heart. So, god damn it, uh, you know, fuck. We we need to try and do maybe a giveaway uh, for everyone that's put in a review and everyone that puts in a review. Maybe we give away like a buy like a CD or a T-shirt or something. We'll we'll give it away to whoever writes the best review. You know, they, they could get no prize. The fans of the Marvel comic books back in the day know what a no prize is. 
Well, hey, hey, it's not like we're gonna we're not gonna be like Nintendo Power Magazine and uh, have a contest to be an extra in the Mass Two, a movie that never fucking was made. Did you hear about that, Edwin? No, 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 I don't. Dude, there's in Nintendo Power Magazine they had a contest for to be an extra in the Mass Two and to meet Jim Carrey, and you know that movie obviously never fucking happened, and unless yeah. you count Son of Mask, which was made like you know what, like ten years <laughs> later. Yeah, but I wonder if they gave the a long rain check on that shit. Yeah, they say, ah, uh, you could be in the Son of Mask, and they're like, uh, and who's that starring? You know, that, that guy from Scream. <laughs> the guy from Malibu's Most Wanted. <laughs> it wasn't that who it was, what's his face? Jamie it's, Kennedy. Yeah, it is a yeah, Jake. I, dude, I, I fucking love Malibu's Most Wanted. I actually saw that shit in the theaters. That, that movie was fucking funny. Nothing against Jamie Kennedy. I'm yeah, just, but... He's not, not Jim Carrey. Exactly, it's not Jim Carrey. So if you think you're getting this thing with Jim Carrey and then a few years later say, oh, it's Jamie Kennedy, I have a feeling you, you might pass on that. Yeah, I'll tell you what, <laughs> we, we do this giveaway, we do this giveaway, uh, I guarantee you, like, the prize will not be starring in a movie with Jamie Kennedy <laughs> that you gotta wait ten years to star in, so don't worry about that. It'll be better than that. It'll be yeah. better than that. Yeah. Well, man, yeah, but, you know, yeah, I've been, it's been busy, man, so, like, uh, it, it was kind of nice to take a little bit of a break, though. Uh, the, the Beatles episode will be, you know, by the time you hear this, you know, you'll probably know this episode's probably going to be up maybe on uh, late Sunday or Monday morning, uh, just because everything going on, we got Mother's Day going on. I know you got plans as well for Mother's Day. Yep. Me and my wife got stuff going on as well, and uh, hockey playoffs are going on, which I know Edwin doesn't follow hockey much, but that's like, you know, that's like a religion for me, so... My nephew is very, both my brother and nephew, especially my nephew, my nephew is actually a hockey player and uh, my brother, they're both very into it. He's a big, nice. fan. he's actually, they're both, you know, we're originally from Pennsylvania, but my uh, brother is a Flyers guy. Okay, and, cool. And my nephew is actually. I feel bad for him. They're, they're really sucking right now. <laughs> they yeah, they my, suck this year. My nephew's a Penguins guy. Okay, so. yeah, I'm watching, that's the game I'm following right now. and Yeah, he's watching it right now. I, I want the Penguins to win because I, you know, for those of you that maybe who who like our show and you're on the Facebook page and you, you're friends with me, you, you know I fucking hate the Rangers. Uh, if you're yeah. listening to this oh, show and you're a Rangers that. fan, hey, you're cool though. It's you know not your fault. Your parents raised this team on you, but <laughs> yeah, fucking Mark Daly too likes to give me a lot of shit because he's a Rangers fan and uh, yeah. A lot of people that are into metal and hard rock like hockey, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, Brian Slagle big time and uh, Lizzie Borden as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of the sports where there's a lot of white dudes with long hair, so I think they Ex- like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, there's, and there's fighting, and it's kind of aggressive. Same thing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, so I've been, you know, like, that's part of my thing, man. Like, I love watching, you know, a couple of the games. There's a couple teams I'm following that I want to win. My, you know, my Blackhawks aren't in it this year. So I got a couple teams I'm rooting for because they're playing teams I hate. So nothing like fucking, you know, drinking some Molson's and uh, watching a nice, you know, playoff hockey game, getting all rowdy. But yeah, but uh, you know, besides playoffs, uh, something really big happened. Hockey playoffs. Something big happened in the metal hard rock community, which is our main thing. So, uh, Edwin, why don't you talk about what what that was? Even though everyone probably already knows. Okay, well, we have a a, a slight difference of opinion right out of the gate because I don't think it's a big thing at all. I think it's nothing and should be treated as such. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a big thing because you, you it's everywhere in the news and whatnot. Yeah. Like in our you know the metal rock community, you can't escape it. It's I'm kind of like not really. Listen, I'm only talking about this air because you wanted to talk about it, and (laughs) you're you're one of my best buds. You're my co-host, 
and I feel like I'd be a dickhead if I said no. <laughs> but otherwise, like I take a more extreme position than even Ralphie Air on this, you know. In in terms of the, we're talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Judas Priest finally getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the Hall of Shame. The Hall of Shame. And yeah, I don't think I've ever talked about it because I don't think it's worth talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because there's nothing rock and roll about it. And I like rock and roll music, so why would I talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I don't know. That's like someone that's into like cool grindhouse movies talking about the fucking Oscars or something. Oh, for real. You know, like, it's just like, it's lame. It's not about, they never respected this kind of music. They never respected Judas Priest. I looked a little bit into this just because I knew we'd be talking about it for a second. But do you know how long, do you know when Judas Priest could have first been, when they were first eligible to be inducted? You know, I don't know because, I, you know, like I said, I, I don't, you know, much like you, I, I don't give a fuck about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so I don't, I don't know what the rules or anything are, but, um, I mean, dude, it's one of them things, man. Every year, people, they, they release the list of, like, bands that are eligible that year, yep. and everyone bitches about, like, oh, Judas Priest is man. Oh, well, you, you know how long they've been bitching about Judas Priest? It's going to oh, blow you time. away. 23, but, 23 years. Oh, God. I, I'm not lying. 23 and, years ago, they were eligible. 1999, because the rules are, it has to be 20, your first album has to be 25 years before you're eligible. Goddamn. That's well, 1974. Yeah, like I got out a calculator to do the math. And, and <laughs> let me tell you something. Judas Priest, as innovative and revolutionary as they are to the genre of music, heavy metal, one of the greatest subgenres of rock and roll, in my opinion. <laughs> and... and they have been eligible since 1999 for 23 years. I was in first grade. Yeah. So you tell me if anyone kept you waiting on something that you should have been put into 23 years ago. It's like waiting to be an extra in the mask part two. And then it comes. It, yeah, 23 years later. <laughs> who doesn't say go fuck yourself? Yeah, for I, real. I know, the guy that got to be an extra in the mask, I think he waited less time than Jews Priest. It's an insult. It's a, it, it was an insult. I think 23 years ago. <laughs> now, yeah. it's absurdly insulting. So, it's just like, you know, Nevada, you know when they got in? Immediately as soon as they were eligible. Yeah. Boom. And they're like, right definitely, away. and I, I love me some Nirvana songs. Like, I, I've definitely grown on them a little bit more. But not like one of my favorites. I like a couple songs okay. here I, and there, I, but they're, they're definitely a hipster darling band. And, that, and that's what the Rock and Roll Hall of and, Shame well, is. It's, like, they're, they're, it's not even about hipster. They're... they're they sold a lot of copies. That's that's what really... They're, they're like Terrence, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. let me get to... Because you know what? If we're talking about like hip underground bands, the Melvins, who influenced Nirvana, Buzz Osborne was a mentor to Kurt Cobain, and yeah. all the Seattle bands were influenced by the Melvins. Melvins aren't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame either, you know? And, yeah. And their first and, and, album was a couple of years before Nirvana. And, and they, they should be in there because they're a great band. And I don't want my favorite bands or good bands being in the Rock and Roll Hall, Hall of Shame. They don't care. The, the only thing disappointing, <laughs> and I love Judas Priest, and I love Rob, Rob Halford, and yeah. what they've accomplished musically is so awesome that I'll let it slide. I'll let it slide. But it hey is, man, it, it, it's disappointing it, that they care, that Rob cares. Yeah. But you know what broke my heart, though, was when Rob was talking about it. For him, it was more about, like, you know, for him, he saw it as a victory for, for metal. It wasn't so much about him. 
or it wasn't so much about Juice Priest, it was just about metal, and it, it kind of broke my heart, because as much as I'm like, dude, why the fuck do you care, it kind of made me feel like, you know, this is a guy that loves this music, this is a guy that lives and dies for this music, but at the same time, it's like, man, who, who fucking cares, look at all the fans you have, look at all the, you know, the you know, all the fans that know your lyrics, that see you in concert, that's what all that should fucking matter. And that's what should matter to all you people that, that get all butthurt about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Who the fuck cares? It's a bunch of elite... It's The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like, wanting to be accepted there is like wanting to eat lunch at the, the cool kids' table after they just bullied you and, like, shoved you in your locker. That's like, you know, the kids that beat you up in high school and, like, t- keep going back to them, like, on your knees, like, please... Please let me hang out with you. Please let me sit at your lunch table. That's what it's like to me. Like when people just like whine about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and like want to be ex- want their bands accepted so badly. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's 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 like uh, Ted Knight and Caddyshack. You know, the old asshole, the money. Yeah, <laughs> dick. That that these are the people that are voting. A bunch of old elitist baby boomers, and and who gives a fuck what they think. You exactly. know, and they don't respect metal. And listen, they don't respect it now. This is, and Rob Halford can't admit this because he's just, you know, he's got blinders on this and he wants to be legitimate. He wants people to recognize him. The same way that more casual rock fans do recognize and respect Black Sabbath, you know? And Judas Priest should be held in the same, you know, category, but they're not. For whatever reason, they never really crossed over the way Sabbath or Zeppelin or some of these other, you know, pioneers of heavy metal and hard rock have been. Or ACDC, you know, cause, because their sales have never quite been on quite on that level, even though they were fairly big in the 80s. And because Judas Priest is so full on metal that it, they're kind of, they're not going to cross over to casual fans because of the leather, the studs, you know, the, 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 the banshee vocals, the twin guitar lines, yeah. it's just a little too metal. And too much or- for people to handle. Yeah, and the only reason that they are letting them in now because this is just a sad truth. They're running out of legacy bands. They're running yep. out. Who, who do they have now? They already, you know, they begrudgingly <laughs> gave it to Kiss a couple of years ago. Like, oh yeah, you know that hurt them. Yeah, that hurt. Listen, they're running out of bands. That's what it comes down to. Twenty-three years later, they're looking around it's like, uh, Dolly Parton. I don't know. Judas <laughs> Priest. <laughs> you know, they're running out of legacy acts. So finally, they're like, oh, I guess this metal band that you know some metal losers like. I guess we'll let them in. Fuck the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Fuck them. You know who said that? And this is someone I do have a lot of respect for, even though I am a bigger Judas Priest fan than a Sex Pistols fan. Hey, mad respect to uh, John Lydon. Yeah, a.k.a. John Lydon, uh, Johnny Rotten. He, when they wanted to induct the Sex Pistols, and he wrote them you know, a fuck you letter. Exactly. He's fucking written. Johnny Rotten, man. Fucking yeah. rules. He, that guy stayed true. He was like, yep. hey, there's nothing rock and roll about it. All the stuff that you and me are saying and Ralph Vieira says, he said it in his letter to me. I, you should go online and check out that letter. It's fucking awesome. I'll have to post it on the page too, man, because I've read it before, man. It's just fucking badass. Like, yeah. that, that guy is real. That guy is one of the most real motherfuckers in the game. Yeah. And, and like I said, as much as I love Priest, to me, the most metal thing they could have been was to do was just to lift a big middle finger <laughs> and just tell them, fuck off. For real. You know, fuck off. 23 years later, the way they, you know, revolutionized music. But you know what? In a way, it's making it sound like I care more than I do, because I really don't care. I just, yeah. I, I get it's just, 
it, it's, it's the fans. Things. It's people caring about it that makes me yeah. upset. <laughs> it, it's one of those things, too. It's like, I don't really want, I don't care, but at the same time, it's like so many people just keep fucking talking about it. It's like, it's like you know, it's like when you have to deal with politics every election year and you, you just can't fucking avoid it. It's like, it's, you know, it's always on your brain. It's like, God damn, just make it stop. Make it go away. It's annoying. Just stop. But it's like, the, yeah. listen, I work in the film business and I tell you, everyone knows that the Oscars are a bunch of bullshit these days. Oh, it's yeah. Kind, it's it's kind of the uh, elephant in the room that no one talks about. It's not the time where movies like The Godfather were being nominated or Silence of the Lambs or big movies that were part, part of a kind of conversation that was going on with everyone, people in the business, outside business. Now it's all these little fucking films that are just designed specifically for the Oscars. Yeah, almost kind of pretentious, too. Yeah. It, 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 most people don't know the movie that gets wins Best Picture. Again, this year, no one knows that movie that won Best Picture. Yeah. You know? And, and and it's just a bunch of... It's just an excuse for a bunch of rich people to get together and, and polish each other's butts, you know? And, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is the same thing. It's an excuse for some rich guy to... Because you know how much those tables are? You know, probably, oh, they're expensive as fuck. I think ex- Rick Nielsen, when Cheap Trick got inducted, like, uh, he, he made like a joke about it. Yeah, they actually charge some of the yeah people that are actually ducted into it. So, but, so yeah. but you're at, you're at the table, thousands of dollars to sit at this table. It's an excuse for some rich banker guy that wants a picture of Dave Grohl or something for a night. Yeah, for real. You know, you know it, it's just almost concerts are getting that way nowadays. You know, the McCartney oh tickets yeah. are like thousands of dollars. You know, real music fans, they they spent like Ralph Vieira says. They spend the money on the records, on the music. It's part of their life. It's not just a fancy event they go to once every couple years and then post pictures and say, "Hey, look, I'm a rock and roller." Fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck, fuck you, you, rich people. Fuck you, fake people. What, you know. I, you know what I was doing right before we got on this? I was drinking some beer and listening to Stained Class. Fuck yeah, yeah man. I listened to Scream for. I, I listened to it because I was cleaning the house today. I listened to it ton of albums. I listened to fucking Venom. I was listening to Screaming for Vengeance. Fucking Lizzie Borden, Visual Lies. Just, uh, some great fucking albums. You know, I don't give a fuck what some elitist douchebag club tells me what, what's good and what's not. I know what's good and what's not because I'm, you know, because of my music collection everything. that That's my Rock and Roll Hall of Fame right yeah. there. And that's the one that counts most. And all these people, like I said, the thing that annoys me most is the fans. I mean, rich people are going to do, do do their douchey rich things. You know, they yeah. got they got to have activities like anyone else. So, but but these poor people that are posting and actually invested in it. Oh, I'm so glad that they did it and I got, they got in, and or or they get angry when their band doesn't get in. It's just like, dudes, this is this isn't about you. They don't give they don't give a shit about you. You know, it's almost kind of like politics. It's like a bunch of people arguing over which group of rich people should win over the other group of rich people. Oh, for real, yeah. Not people. Republicans, Democrats, none of them care about you. They don't. They're just playing you. They're playing you all. <laughs> all right? So yeah. don't care rich people. Enrich your own life the best way you can and just be awesome. And don't worry about what some fucking rich guy who gets to have a photo op for a week with some bands that he thinks are cool. Fuck them. Fuck the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And, you know, I'll forgive Judas Priest. I'll forgive Rob Halford. It's Judas Priest. By Judas Priest, I mean Rob's Priest these days. I'll forgive Rob, you know, for because it's his thing. He wants to be recognized. Whatever. I love this man. So, at this point, he really, it's all, he can't really do anything wrong at this point. Because his yeah. legacy is sound. It's firm. 
So that's it. But I personally, I do not care about this. And this is the only time, you know, like I know Mark uh, Alan Taylor asked <laughs> if we were going to, you know, would come on and talk about it. You know, and, uh, he, he did good. He got Raphael instead of us. Oh, yeah, and, he, he got a big fucking name right there. Yeah, so, so good on him. And that's a good episode. She, oh, yeah. All, I think I've gotten... I've gotten like uh, I've gotten like not halfway through, but like a third way through, just because I've been so busy with yeah. shit. But I so far, it. man, I'm loving it. Yeah, it's great. So you should all check that out. But you yeah. know what? I, I I'll be honest. I could not like, and this is why I say I'm more hardcore than Ralph when it comes to this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame shit, because he talked about that on Mark's show and the news. He started the news yep. again, and it's great, and I love it. I and love his news. Of course, I love Ralph's news, and this new format's awesome. So check it out. You know, it's just yeah. Ralph. Just be Ralph sitting there and giving his opinions and who you know what's better than that because Ralph is more rock and roll than even one centimeter of the rock and roll hall of shame but that being said I I don't have I couldn't do I couldn't talk about this more than once and I knew that I know right so this is it uh... all I'm gonna say about this is now and that's it I don't want to talk about the rock and roll hall of fame ever again but, but hey, here's here's what we're gonna do. We're, we're gonna make our own Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. All right, at the at the end of the year, and I'm gonna announce the fucking nominations. We're gonna nominate first up fucking Judas Priest. <laughs> we're gonna nominate the Melvins. We're gonna nominate Kiss, but only the animalized Mark St. John lineup. <laughs> Why? Just because we can. That's our fucking Hall of Fame. Uh, we're gonna nominate Millie Vanilli. For fucking uh, what's his name, Mr. Bushy Nate Atchison. I feel bad. I forgot his name for a second. <laughs> Beer talking. And last but not least, we're gonna do. Um, let me look around at my collection here. I have a Bang Tango for you. Oh, we're, yeah, we're gonna nominate Bang Tango, but as a as an alternate category, they're not gonna be in there as a musical act. They're gonna be in there as like an honorable mention or some bullshit. Why? Because we can. <laughs> Yeah, you know why not? Yeah, and, 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 and um, you know, yeah. Why why wait so long? I, I, let's put a night team in because I'm digging yeah, fuck them. It. Yeah, you don't have to wait 25 years. You know, if it's just a good band that you like, and you know, we could also put in. Let me see who else could we put in? Mike Damone. Can it be a fictional character who loved rock and roll from Fast Times at Ridgemont? Hey, you have to. He's your dad. That's right. Mike Simone <laughs> will put in. We'll Mike Simone, baby. He'll be under the non the non uh, music performer category. Put in uh, Joey, the Dream Warrior, who Freddy Krueger killed in a waterbed. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty rock and roll. That's, that's pretty badass. Yeah. He had the longest hair out of all the kids. Yeah. Had. Yeah. So yeah, he's a fucking badass. Yeah. So we do that, and you know, and we'll put in us, you and me. Why not? Yeah, you yeah. and me. <laughs> And we'll nominate the drummer from Cassandra's band in Wayne's World. Guy yeah, looked like fucking Eric Singer. And now I'll be that. Yeah, we're gonna post that, and you can vote for who you want, and we'll pick four out of the the four top voted ones. Yeah, uh, Rick Allen's uh, severed arm. Oh yeah, Rick Allen's that that arm had some fucking talent. <laughs> Just the when arm. that arm left, uh, he took it took the talent with him. <laughs> some field in England somewhere, rotting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're also and also too. Check back next week where we may have an interview with Rick Allen's left arm. Yep, that was the talent in the band. That was. 
Oh, oh man, well everyone, thanks for joining yeah. me, man. I'm gonna get headed because I got a lot more to do, and I'm pretty sure you do as well. Yeah. So everyone, enjoy this next episode of the Rock All Over You podcast, the part two of the amazing Sergeant Pepper's episode with Ralphie Aaron Ryan T. Russell. And uh, you know, check out our, our good friends, uh, obviously Mark Allen Terra with the Mark and Jerry bullshit sessions, the Freeform Rock Podcast. Check out Ralph Vieira on the Rock and Mel Combat Podcast and his amazing YouTube channel, Almost Human 56. And Edwin, is there uh, anything you got? Any closing statements you have? No, uh, don't care about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> they, they can suck on my uh, big, medium sized dick. Yeah, they can suck on my big, larger than medium sized dick. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm Italian American. What can I say? You're Italian. What can we say? I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, everyone. Crack open a cold beverage and enjoy part two of the Beatles Sgt. Pepper episode. So, moving on to the being for the benefit of Mr. Oh, yeah. Hush. Which, after this, after she's leaving home, sounds like fucking Ace of Spades. <laughs> Even Damn. though it's also a whimsical Disney kind of song. Uh, but what do you think of this song, Ralph? Oh, I love this song. Um, again, you know, like, she's leaving home, fixing a hole, Lucy in the Sky. This is like, you know, circus, kind of circus music. Now here, I can't say it's revolutionary, though. You know, I gotta say, this is like carnival, like, you know, the loop-de-loop and all that mm-hmm. weird thing going on. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe back then, circus, they were some circus music like this. Maybe they invented circus music where, when I went to go see Ringling Brothers, they probably got inspired by, by the benefit of Mr. Kite. I don't know. All I know is that this is a great song. To me, this album, in a context, you know, it's like, I, I welcome everything. So we get to a certain point, but I'll talk about that when we get there. But this is just a continuation of fucking great, great music, different flow, different atmosphere, not rock, you know. And yeah, I understand why people would, you know, our rockers uh, wouldn't like this because, I mean, they really go out on a tangent of, you know, anti-rock in a way. I mean, this is, there's nothing rock and roll about these last three songs at all. You know, but I love it. It's just, but you know, I love different types of music too. It all takes a backseat to metal, but I still like all different types of music. And I like, I welcome like this, these weird fucking sounds, but at the same time, I, it has to appeal to me. It's not, I'm not going to like this just for the sake of it being different. It actually is a good song. I get something out of this. It's just a weird tune too. But I dig it. I like for the benefit of the music. Alright, cool. What do you think about it, Ryan? Um, this is, I would have to say that this is the first song in the album that I don't love, but it's, it's a cool song. And it's, it, it definitely adds to the whole scope of this album. And I, I do dig the kind of just, it, it, it it's a story obviously about this poster that John Lennon saw about a circus that was coming to town, but, I like the darkness of it, where it's more, he, it, it almost has the, the feeling of a freak show, it, it, you know, kind of a, you know, there's a lot of weirdness and darkness to the sounds and the lyrics and everything, and I do like that. But it's more of, like, a, a song that 
needs to be listened to in the context of this album than a song that I'm really going to go out of my way to listen to on its own. Um, but that's not saying anything negative about it at all. It's, it's, it's a cool song. It fits perfectly where it is in this album at the end of side one. Um, but just as a standalone song, it's easily my least favorite on the first side. All right, I'll t- take it. I'll say this. I I like it better than She's Leaving Home. Picks it up a little bit. Uh, I'm not crazy about this song. I used to like it when I was younger more. Uh, it's I would. It's definitely not as good as Lucy in the Sky of Diamonds, but yeah, I would maybe one notch below that song. There's some cool trippy sound effects on it. Like there's some cool songs, but it's just like like Ralph was saying. It's just like a circus kind of tune. It's it's. It's all right. I like I said. I think it benefits from coming after my least favorite song, so everything sounds a little bit better afterwards. But it, it's not. I don't think it's a great song, but it, it's it's got some cool sound effects. It's a little too whimsical for me. But like uh, Ryan said, there is a kind of undercurrent of darkness that all the psychedelic John Lennon songs kind of have. So you feel like there's something kind of creepy about it. You know, I I feel like they took that that creepy undercurrent. Uh, I think they uh, expanded on that with the next album, with Mystery Tour, which is why I love it. I think Mystery Tour is a little creepier and darker than Sgt. Pepper. It, it kind of like cuts down. It's like, let's put it this way. Sgt. Pepper, I think, is like the upbeat parts of a Disney movie. And Mystery Tour is like when things get freaky and weird and dark in a Disney movie. You know, like when Witch shows up or like the fucking... Maleficent turns into a dragon. Like I feel like that's mystery tour, and this is like more the bouncy, happy part of a Disney movie for the most part. But you see a few little creepy foreshadowings of the next album, and this is one of them. So it's all—it's an all right tune. Has some cool sound effects. What do you think, Eric? Oh man, I fucking love love this song. I love how different it is. I love that circus sound. It's like you said. It's like it's real. It's creepy. It's a kind of a creepy song. Cause I get. You know, if this album, this album's like a dream almost, and this is like the part of the dream that's like a nightmare, this is where like all the happy, like fun, floating around, you know, in the clouds, meeting all these cool characters, this is the part where you meet the villains in your dream, or like the scary characters, this is like when the acid trip starts going bad, this makes me think of like, you know, creepy clowns and like creepy like you know weird looking circus performers and freaks like haunting you and taunting you and whatnot um really really cool song um really great song and yeah it was inspired by uh, a poster john lennon had had seen for like a circus and uh there's actually a great video about that for uh this youtube channel called the holly bobs which i really recommend if you're a beatles fan to check out his channel but uh, this song's amazing. I remember, you know, two years ago, right before the pandemic hit, I was working a second job at nighttime for this place down here in Goshen called Culver Duck, and it was, uh, I was basically trying to make extra money, and at nighttime, I would come in from like, you know, 6 to 12 during the winter, and I would clean uh, trailers. I'd literally clean duck shit off of trailers. Not a glamorous job, but... I, it would be outside in the freezing cold and I'd be like literally washing off trailers and I could listen to music while I did it which was awesome because I was by myself but literally I had to drive from the shop to the area where they had all the trailers parked and just hose down these trailers and I'd be like all alone out in the dark in this dark field because like in an area where there's a lot of farmland so it was kind of creepy when like I'd be listening to Sgt. Peppers and this song would fucking come on it, 
it's kind of terrifying, you know, as I'm out in the dark all alone, just hosing down these trailers with not a lot of light. So, but looking back, though, it's kind of fun because, you know, we kind of, I think we all kind of have a fascination with being scared. That's why I watch horror movies and shit. I love it, and I love it for that creepiness, the uh, creepy circus sound. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, this album draws a lot of comparisons to Destroyer by Kiss, where it's like Kiss is kind of trying to do their Sgt. Pepper, and ironically, they have a song on there with Circus Organ. Obviously, this song is way, way better than Flaming Youth. <laughs> Although, <laughs> I do love Flaming Youth, and I love that goofy-ass Circus Organ, oh, but this song obviously, you know, way better than uh, Flaming Youth. Yeah, I'll, uh, agree with, I'll agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I definitely want Ralph to talk about this next song before I talk about it, because I know he does not like it, and I, I have an argument for this next song. So, Ralph, why don't you talk about the George Harrison classic, Within You, Without You? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, when I when I first got the box, you know, and I, I would hear <laughs> this song pop up, I was always like, ooh, ooh. So, I have I heard this whole album today, including this song. For the first time in eons, because trust me, listening to Sgt. Pepper, when it got to this song, I'm so used to the the fucking click sound, <laughs> the skip button, or the needle drop. Thank God it's the first song on the first and second side. It's not wedged in before anything, so I can just skip, put the needle on the next song. This song, and then I heard it today, this song is mind-numbingly bad. <laughs> I just cannot stand this Indian fucking <laughs> oh my god shoot me now this is fucking terrible this is number revolution number 9 Sammy Hagar shit oh. this is fucking garbage I fucking hate it and a shout out to the great author in Canada uh, Robert Lawson who wrote a killer cheap trick in Nazareth book they're his favorite song off the album, and I love the fuck out of them. Because <laughs> wow, I love crazy motherfuckers, man. That is crazy. Uh, this and dude, this song is unlistenable to me. I just, I just can't stand it. I'm I curious, can't. Ralph. Do you like love Love Me Too? Oh, I love fucking love that tune. No, I don't. You know, I don't look. I, I like some Harrison songs, but. You Not don't like any Indian stuff. You don't like it when we bust out the sitar. Oh, man, I hate all that <laughs> shit. Uh, yeah, it's what bothers me about uh, that song. I'm, I don't even, I don't even fuck, my mind won't even let me fucking remember the title of the song that's on Magical Mystery Tour. Please don't be long. Blue Jay Way. Oh, you don't like Blue Jay, right? Oh, oh, it's creepy and awesome. No. I love it. No. Especially when you find out the story about how it's written. Hey, hey, listen. <laughs> I don't like that song, and therefore I lead a happy life. <laughs> Trust me, I like to live my life joyously. That is fucking terrible. And I'm not a fan of, of the other one, though. La 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 la. What's the name of that one? That's on Magical Mystery Tour. The is it the instrumental oh, the song? Fly, they're flying. Yeah, I'm not a fan of flying. Uh, uh, fuck it. Fuck this song with the, uh, yeah. Without you's right, man. <laughs> without within me, I'm without this goddamn song. Thank you. All right, uh, Ryan. What do you think of within you? Without you. Yeah, you know I'm not quite as adamant as Ralph is, but I do not like the song. And to the point where you know I learned this album on vinyl because <clears throat> I had it when I was six, seven, eight years old before tapes were even a thing. 
And I used to, I remember I used to start, start, I used to drop the needle on, uh, when I'm 64 on the second side because I just didn't, oh. never, never liked this song. Um, I don't hate it now. Uh, it has its place in Beatles history, but I, I could do without it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to hit this too because Eric's going to be the lone guy here defending this song. Uh, although, uh, surprisingly, I know this is what this is a song I'm sure you thought I was going to say was my least favorite. Right? I thought so too, is everyone seems to hate this song. It is, generally speaking, seems to be, especially with rock people. It seems to be the least favorite song on the album. There have been times in my life where this was my least favorite. It usually battled between um, She's Leaving Home and this one. But the way Ralph feels, like the way I felt about She's Leaving Home is like the way Ralph feels about this song, obviously. Funny thing is, I was listening to it today. I'm not going to say I like it, but I disliked it a little bit less than I've had in the past. <laughs> That's all I'll say. I, the biggest problem with this song is it's just fucking way too long. It's fucking five minutes and five That's seconds. That's she said. This song does not need to be that long. And again, I, I'm not as anti the trippy Eastern George Harrison shit as much as Ralph. Like, I love Blue Jay right away. I think that's an awesome song. And I love Love Me Too from Revolver. But Love Me Too is only three minutes, and I think it's so much cooler than this song and does so much more trippy kind of sound effects and stuff like it's got the eastern thing the you know indian thing going on but there's also some kind of cooler rock distorted psychedelic elements being into love you too well you know you know norwegian uh norwegian woods yeah that, that song rules see lenny knows how to put it in that well yeah that's that's, it's hard I mean, it's like a, there's like a hint of it, because it's not like a sitar-dominated or Middle Eastern-dominated song. It's just like a hint. It's like in the background. Well, and it's a Lennon song. That's it why adds, Ralph likes it. It yeah. adds to the music. It adds yeah. to it. Where it just dominates Harrison's song. The point to me, I don't know, man. Maybe I'd be into it if I had like a flute and I'd, I'd get a cold <laughs> a fucking, you know, one of those fucking uh, little things. Just like, you know, what do they call it? I, Maybe I'd like it more if I was a snake charmer. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the thing is, uh, you know, I, I have a theory. I think George Harrison got into this shit because there was, like, that scene in Help where they go in to, like, the yeah. Indian place. Yeah, that's what he was, like, mesmerized by. Yeah. The, yeah. He got into the, the sitar because of that scene. Yeah, that's what I always thought. And he <laughs> looked into Robbie Shakar and he got into all that. That's where all this nightmare shit started. Who had, did Robbie Shaker like marry a model because his daughter is very attractive, <laughs> and he's not? Let's just I'm say sure. He did. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Rob Wood. Like I was like Ron Wood. Like I was it's around like Gene Rod Simmons' Wood daughter. Holy like, shit! All these rock stars when they like even if the guy's kind of fugly, they have hot daughters. So I always assume because they were banging some model. <laughs> yep. For real. Interesting note when you were talking about it. This was not only the first five-minute Beatles song, this was the first Beatles song that was even over four minutes. Yeah, it's way too fucking long for this It's song. five minutes long? It's five, five minutes, minutes and five seconds. Yeah, I, I thought it was 15 minutes long. long. <laughs> and that's the thing, it's a slow five minutes. It feels like 15 oh, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, listen, it's like, it's all right for a different shade. It's all right. But it's kind of like, in the same way I said She's Leaving Home sounded like a more therapy, pretentious Eleanor Rigby, this is like a more therapy, pretentious Love You Too. It's like he already did the Indian song on the last album, and that <laughs> one 
that one was snappier and better. It was, this is, it was better, much better. Yeah, it was a better Indian song. So I feel like Harrison's repeating himself. It, I think the song they should have went with, because he recorded it during these sessions, is only a northern song. To me, that's much better in this song. I would have much prefer, and it's another reason why I like the Yellow Submarine album a little bit more than this. I like Only a Northern Song. I think it's a cool, trippy, very unique-sounding Harrison song, and I think it's much better in this song. To me, Only a Northern Song should have been the Harrison song they picked instead of this fucking snooze fest. But, damn. But, I, I, I don't hate it quite as much as I did the la- in the past, but it is a snooze fest. It's definitely, it's definitely one of the weakest... I'd say by the second. Well, I'm thinking in terms of George Harrison. Yeah, no, this is actually. Yeah, this is the worst George Harrison song in the Beatles. Oh, hands down. Yeah, so it just happens that I think McCartney and John Lennon wrote worse songs, but John Lennon and Paul McCartney also wrote like uh, I don't know, like a billion better songs than George Harrison too. So that makes up for it. So anyway, Eric, you talk about why you yeah. like this damn fucking song. Goddamn, <laughs> so, I, man, I've been sitting back for a long time. Before I had this podcast, I've been sitting back for a long time watching people just shit <laughs> on this song. And here I am to finally, finally defend it. Finally I defend this song. fucking love this song. And here, let me ask you guys a question right now. If any of you guys ever banged an Indian woman... Yes, I have actually. What? Oh, damn. There goes the joke then. (laughs) Ralph is like James Bond. He's banged a woman of every nationality, I'm sure. I I had one in 1994. She was awesome. God damn. So, here's the thing, man. I didn't always really, like, I thought it was an okay song. I felt like, you know, I was kind of like, I'm like, eh, it drags on a little too long. Eh, you know, I don't know. Like, Love Love You Too is a little bit better, but eh, the sitar, I don't know about it banged an Indian girl, and I was like, I did it now. I fucking get it. You know, oh, something about it, man, it awakens, it awakens you to the Indian charm, you know? It awakens I, your world I, on Middle Eastern culture. I had the opposite ref- uh, effect. When I heard the song, I beat the shit out of her. Holy shit! And then you went and listened to Get In Better. Yeah, then, then, every, then oh. I feel bad now, so everything's okay. Dude, so, oh my... And oh so, my god, though. So, Eric, if you bang some uh, chick with, like, uh, a blonde perm, are you going to, like, pound cake now? Yeah. Oh, god, no. <laughs> or, or, or Japanese, you get into Yoko Ono? Oh, god, no, no. No, but, dude, I'm telling you, man, because this chick was, you know, Ralph, this would be your kind of woman, because I listened to the Use Your Illusion 2 episode, and even though it was edited out, I know what you, what you look for in a woman. This woman would have been your type of woman. Yeah, my Indian girl did that too, let me tell you. (laughs) This chick was like insane. Like, there was one time she was sending me shit at work. Like, you know, I was at my job at the time, you know, and she's sending me shit. And she sent me like, you know, she was deep throwing a cucumber. And I'm like, "Uh, that's not that impressive. Like, you know, you know know what I want to see. And she's like, I can't do that. Like, you know, it's dirty. And I'm like, just put a sandwich bag around it. I'm thinking she's not going to do it. Well, a few hours later when I'm off work, this bitch is, like, sticking that cucumber inside of her, you know? And then later that night, after she sent me that video, she sends me a video of her mom cutting that cucumber up to make salad. So I knew right then and there never to eat at her house, because I was fucked up. But, yeah, this chick was insane. And that 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 is why I love this song. Because, man, that was one crazy-ass Indian woman. Holy shit. Did you ever make me think, uh, 
there was a movie. Remember in the mid '90s, there was like all these like direct-to-video uh, like erotic thrillers and like erotic movies. No, uh, like Skinamax. Yeah, I'm sure you. you remember My mom that. had some shitty like porno. Like I remember sneaking her porno, and it was like a. It wasn't even like porn, it was like Days of Our Lives, but with tits. There was that- one called Kama Sutra, the, A Tale of Love. <laughs> do, re- <laughs> do you guys remember that one? No. It was like the sexy Indian movie. They used to show it on like HBO late Ooh. at night a lot. Yeah, Kama Sutra, A Tale of Love. <laughs> Look it shit. up. 1996, I'm looking you at it You need to now. send me that, god damn. It, it's, it'll just, it's a few minutes longer than this fucking song. Yeah, an hour and fifty-seven <laughs> minutes. But it, yeah, it, it makes your story made me think of that. But, Sutra, oh my up. god, dude! This, this chick was insane, dude. This was one nasty, crazy chick, man. Holy shit! All right, so she that's made why, That's like why I this. love this damn song. It, it, that that experience awoken me to the greatness of this song. All right. Within uh, you. I was within. I was within that. All right. You were within that. I was waiting for that. I knew that had to come. <laughs> all yeah, right. I still love this song. You know, well, all our goes, listeners, if you don't like the song, go make love to an Indian woman. You'll finally, you'll understand. Unless you're like Ralph here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're pretty sure. Yeah. And then you could just go to an Indian restaurant and you'll hear this kind of music all the time. It's not a big deal. It's like George Harrison's like, hey, look what I'm doing. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of people making music that sounds like that. It's a whole fucking country full of people. I made a fucking Indian song. If I, <laughs> yeah, when I got the GarageBand app on my iPhone like way back, I fucking made a damn Indian song while I was fucking around with the Pro Tools. If I find it, I'll, I'll like insert it at some point in this episode. It's like a five-second loop. Yeah, I'll, well, it, <laughs> So thank God George Harrison didn't just, like, go to Africa or else we'd hear, like, just goddamn drum circles. Yeah, you'll hear that fucking oompa. <laughs> <laughs> like that damn last song on that Cheap Trick album. It's not uh, like the goddamn Exorcist Part 2 soundtrack. <laughs> All right. Before we get more offensive, Ryan! Let's go to Ryan for the first time. What do you think of this very... It's funny, we went from the very Indian song to, like, the whitest song on the album. When I'm 60... <laughs> when I'm 64... <laughs> Uh, well, this song will kind of start a trend with the second side of this album for me. Where <laughs> it's not a bad song. It's it's a very show tuny type of song. You know, kind of fits in that mold of what I've been talking about since the beginning of the album. Which I really think that Paul McCartney had a a vision of this album to sound like kind of a show soundtrack. Um, and this is, you know, a perfect kind of song that would fit on a, on a Broadway play, you know, soundtrack. Um, it's, you know, clever, it's simple, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of vintage Paul McCartney, but to me, it's just for the pack of songs he wrote in this little four or five year period, it's towards the bottom of the pack of that type of song. He did this a lot better on other albums. You know, it's actually one a true story. It's actually one of the first songs he wrote for the Beatles. Yeah, this one played back in the uh, tavern days. No, yeah. actually, actually, this was written even before the Beatles. This is the first song he ever written. Period. Though it didn't have these lyrics, but yeah. the very first song Paul McCartney ever wrote was this song. It just didn't have these lyrics. That's amazing. The first song I ever fucking wrote was called "Cat and Heat," and it fucking sucked. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, but yeah, I think within the context of, context of the album, the song is fine. It's it's uh, it's a, you know, to, in certain terms, it's a classic. 
but uh, just you know, it's not one of my favorite McCartney songs. It's it's uh, it's okay. So, what do you think of it, Ralph? I fucking love this song, man. Uh, it's back to speed again. Yeah, it's it's what Paul, it's what John Lennon would call McCartney granny music. Yeah, because he he hated this shit. Yeah, I, it's, what, it's like what their grandparents listen to. That yeah, and, and and I'm fine with it. I don't give a fuck. I mean, I don't listen to any. I don't listen to music like this, but this like makes up for it. You know, it's like all right. I hear when I'm 64, I don't have to listen to any music yet because this is a throwback to you know decades before popular music, and uh, you know it's got that you know just kind of like a you know putting on the Ritz. Type yeah. Shit. You know? Yeah, yeah. 20, like 20s, 30s. Yeah, 20s, 30s type music. And yeah, yeah Ralph, I, I'd say there are two guys, I'm with you on this, I don't listen to any of that music on my own, but there are two guys that wrote songs in that kind of genre that I think do it well, and it's all I ever have to hear is, is Paul and Freddie Mercury. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, good call. Queen yeah, he did songs of- like this too, and he did yeah. a movie. Yep. Like yeah. Roy Brown, and there, there's a lot of Queen. Oh, I love Leroy Brown. There's, that song fucking rules. Yeah, there's uh, and and this song fucking rules. I love when I'm 64. It's quirky. It's cute. It, you know, it's uh, it's, it's game changing, man. That's all I can say. It's like all these other other songs that you, even that crappy fucking George Harrison song. It's so fucking different. It's you know it's. Hey man, I mean, you know, more more power to Eric for liking it. It is <laughs> way fucking different than whatever the Beatles did, but so is this song. You know, it's like, I mean, yeah, there's little hints like for no one and shit like that, but not to this extreme. And I, it's a quirky little lovey ballad of you know, hey, you know, will you be with me when I'm 64? You know, him talking to his wife. It's cute, and I dig it, and it's joyous. And it's beautiful, and I love it. I love this positive nature of just fucking happiness, and this oozes happiness, and, you know, my life is very happy because of shit like this, you know? I love it when I'm 64. All right, I'll take it next. Uh, this is a song, like, I will say this. It's not one of my favorite songs on the album. Uh, I'm kind, It's kind of a straight-down-the-middle song for me. Like, I don't dislike it, but... It's not like a song I really need to listen to, you know, unless it's in the context of the album. That being said, objectively, it's 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 got that quality that a lot of McCartney songs have, where it's like it sounds like an instant standard, if you know what I mean. Like it sounds like like I know when he wrote Yesterday, he like was convinced at first, if you know the story, that he thought like, well, that's a song already, right? Like he yeah. would go around, he would go around and hum it to people. <laughs> He's like, that's a song, right? And he kept going to people and people, and eventually everyone kept saying, no, I never heard that. And they finally he was like, I guess, I guess I made it up. I guess it's my song. <laughs> and, and, and this is like one of those kind of songs. Like I can't think of a like this is one of the first Beatles songs I actually remember kind of knowing about and hearing it's just it's just a classic song and those lyrics are very clever and memorable and it just sounds like it just sounds like something like um you know like just a song a classic song from like the 20s or 30s that you would just think was always there like just a classic traditional song that 
Paul McCartney just knocked out when he was a t- fucking teenager. And that's like the thing that was amazing about it. And finally, he waited until the instrumentation kind of fit like where they could recreate that sound. Obviously, the kind of songs that he heard growing up that his parents would play on like an old phonograph record. So it's cool that it's in the context of this album. And it's a really well-written song. It's like a classic standard. It's not like the kind of music I'm into, but I can appreciate it. I like uh, he kind of did it again with um, Honey Pie. And I kind I like Honey Pie better on the White Album because... Even if I can kind of hear that this is a better song, Honey Pie is just a little scrappier, so I just kind of like Honey Pie a little bit better. But, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a really good song. I can hear it's a classic good song, but it's not really, it's not really my kind of song, if you get what I'm saying. What, what do you think, Eric? Oh, when I'm 64, what, what a fucking great song. Uh, this one, too, is uh, very different from Within You, Without You, but again, it's very different from the Beatles, because it is, you know, this is, you know, Paul McCartney, what John Lennon would call uh, granny shit music, or whatever he called it. Uh, I love it, though. It's a fun, happy little song. It reminds me a lot of the movie World According to Garp. Really great Robin Williams movie. If you haven't seen it, you gotta check it out. Uh, they, they play this song at the very beginning and the very end of the movie, and uh, that was the first time I heard this song was from that movie. Great fucking movie, and uh, I just love this song, man. Just real, again, Paul McCartney with the kind of whimsical, happy, you know, lovey-dovey kind of song. I love it, man, you know. It's, I, I definitely, you know, I'm with Ralph, you know, I, I wouldn't listen to other music like this, but just, you know, I, when it's the Beatles doing it, they just do it right. They do it in a way that I love it. And, uh, yet, for whatever reason, although it's my favorite album of, you know, my favorite album of all time, and my favorite Beatles album, I always keep forgetting this song is on here. Like, for whatever reason, when with that, Within You, Without You ends, I keep expecting Lovely Rita to be next, and then this song comes on, I'm like, oh, shit, this, this song is on here. Uh, which is weird, because I don't hate the song, I love it, you know, and I think it's a real important part of the album, but for whatever reason, every time I listen to this album, I keep forgetting this song is on here, but, man, just what a great song, great, you know, songwriting by Paul McCartney, and yeah, this was one of the first songs he ever wrote, so, uh, one, uh, Ryan, why don't you talk about everyone's favorite meter maid, Lovely Rita? Um, <clears throat> Lovely Rita, very fun song. Uh, and, and I think you start to see, you know, the, uh, this album, I think they put songs in order and, and tried to make a flow. And I think this song kind of starts the flow leading to the crescendo at the end of this side. I think this has a similar feel to kind of the start of... Um, the second half of Abbey Road where you, you, you kind of feel like these songs are leading somewhere. Like there's, you know, there might not be a, a specific straight storyline going on, but there's definitely a musical line that is starting. Um, and I kind of feel Lovely Rita starts the, at the start of the, the end of this album. Yeah, I never um, thought of it that way, but I hear it. it's, it's kind of like, a good the, point. it's like the you never give me your money. It's like kind of starting yes. it off. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. I think they, they perfected that with Abbey Road. They flirted I... with it here. Um, and I, and then there's no doubt in my mind, because I've, I've read enough and seen enough interviews with McCartney where he had that kind of vision in his head when he was making this album. And this was also the album that he started to piss off the rest of the band because he was the one kind of orchestrating all this stuff. 
um, yeah. the order of the songs, the you know the the <clears throat> you know the structure of the songs. The that was all starting right here. He was kind of taking over. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, lovely read. It, you know, it's not my favorite song on its own, but within the context of this album, it's perfect, and it's a, it's a very to me a, kind of a line where again it starts the the end of this album. Ralph, what do you think of Lovely Rita? I think it's perfection. I think it's beautiful. Probably my favorite McCartney tune on here. Uh, it's very much a dark horse. Uh, not very talked about, which is weird, because this does have all the elements to be a radio staple. And I don't think I've ever heard this on the radio, but then again, I don't listen to the radio. I haven't listened to the radio forever, but when I was a little kid, I never heard this song. You know, the first time I heard this was the first time I heard this album. And it really, I mean, this is the song that stuck out the most. Yes, I knew A Day in a Life, and I knew Lucy in the Sky and stuff, but I didn't know this. It's kind of rocky. Yeah, I got a rocky, but it's got a very melodic structure that's very catchy. That, again, I don't know, you know, this, this to me, smells like a fucking Beatles single. But it wasn't. And, uh, but... It's one of my favorites on here. I absolutely love Lovely Rita. Meets are made. <laughs> yeah, well, this is actually where Ralph and I are going to be most on the same page. Uh, a lot of what he said, I totally agree with. This is my second favorite song on the album and my favorite McCartney song. Like, sold McCartney song. Which, I guess I kind of spoiled what my favorite song is by saying that. But anyway, but this is definitely my second favorite song on the album. I love this song. This is, is like Ralph said, it's perfection. And I was thinking the same thing, Ralph, when I was listening to this just today. I was listening to this, and I was just like, why isn't Lovely Rita like a bigger song? Like, I know to some degree every Beatles song's kind of a big song, but you're right. Like, it's not, it's not one of the staples. It's not a single. I know technically there aren't singles from this album, but... Yeah, you do hear Lucy in the Sky of Diamonds. You hear, like, uh, with a little help from your friends. You hear A Day in a Life. You, you hear When I'm 64. There are certain songs that you do getting better, you sometimes hear. But you never hear Lovely Rita. And I remember even when I first heard this album for the first time, I immediately was like, wow, this song's so catchy. This is, just sounds like a, just a classic, catchy Beatles hit. Like, so like I said, man, in 1990, when I bought that box set, the first time I ever heard this song in music and I'm a guy that has heard many Beatles songs everywhere I've never heard Lovely Rita anywhere but you know it has that quality like I bet like you know you first hear it but I bet it still seems strangely familiar like kind of like 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 this melody is so catchy I feel like I've always known it even though I didn't hear it like I think that's the way McCartney probably felt when he like hummed yesterday like I never heard Lovely Read It either, but when I heard it, I was just like, yeah, this, this song, if you know what I mean. Like, it was just such, such a perfect melody. Yeah. You know, I couldn't imagine a, a life without Lovely Read It. It was just instantly memorable. It's, I love, it's one of McCartney's best songs. Plus, I love that whole coda at the end where it gets all dark and weird. Again, kind of foreshadows a lot of stuff that they do on Mystery Tour. Like, it gets really dark and weird and kind of sexy. Like, it's also a sexy song, too, which I like. <laughs> but if you listen to the lyrics, you know, it's like, it's kinky. It's about, like, how he's turned on by a woman in a uniform. And it's, it's kinky and it's got flavor. It's, I could hear, like, this sounds like a song, like, I could imagine Noel Gallagher really liking, you know, Oasis and stuff like that. Like, the randier side of British culture. 
And I just, <laughs> I, you know, it just, it's got that vibe to it. And something else that Ryan was saying, which I agree with, where I, one thing about this album, I'll say, if it was actually in a weird way, because I don't really like concept albums for the most part, I feel like this album would have benefited from being even more of a concept album. And George Martin thinks this too. Um, I think that it would have benefited, and I know the Beatles didn't like to do this. They like they didn't like their singles being on their album. But mm-hmm. I got to say, there's a couple songs on here which I think it would have been better if they had replaced them with Strawberry Fields Forever and Penny Lane. And if Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane were on this album, I feel like it would have been more about English life. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it would have had more to say about the Beatles and their their upbringing. Because Strawberry Fields was about, like, where John grew up, you know, that orphanage. And Penny Lane was, like, about, like, you know, like, an area where Paul grew up. And then songs like Lovely Rita. And then you got A Day in the Life. And... And I just feel like it would have, like, there would have been a little more substance to the album. Plus, I think those two songs are amazing songs, Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane. And, you know, definitely, like, you know, I think everyone agreed, like, Within You, Without You. And this, I just feel like, like it would have enhanced the album if it was more about England and growing up in England and been, been a little bit more about it, uh, about the culture there. And I think they kind of lost that a little bit in the concept but anyway but lovely read is an amazing song my favorite mccartney song on the album plus that piano solo like i had to look that up because i was like that can't be paul mccartney playing that piano solo that sounds like it has to be a session musician some classical guy coming in and doing that solo because it's not so much about the notes it's how they're being played it's kind of like what we said about his bass playing like you could give this music to someone else but the nuance and character of how paul plays it is on this whole other level well, wouldn't you know it? Yeah, fucking Macca is playing the fucking piano. He's doing that solo. That solo, that piano solo, when you listen to it, the way it's played is like, most rock musicians cannot do a piano solo like that. It's just on another level. The way the notes hit, you know, it's just, it's amazing. The guy, he's a fucking genius. He's Paul McCartney. He's a genius. It's amazing. The music's amazing. The production's amazing. It's amazing song. You know, if my least favorite album has a song as good as Lovely Rita, that means it must be a pretty fucking great band. <laughs> That's all I can say. So what do you think of Lovely Rita, Eric? Holy shit, I love Lovely Rita. song fucking rules. Um, you know, and unlike Within You, Without You, man, uh, you know, where I, you know, had to, had to make a love to an Indian woman to, <laughs> to fully realize it. I didn't have to have sex with a goddamn meter maid to get this song. This song fucking is amazing, and I got on the first time I listened to it. Uh, this song rules. It's very weird, you know. That's one thing I noticed about the Beatles that they can do that not a lot of bands can do. They can write about the most random fucking shit, and it will just sound amazing. Like, this is a song about one the fuck a meter maid. Who the fuck writes songs like that and make it so- without it sounding stupid and dumb? You know, the- only the Beatles could do a song about that kind of subject and get away with it and make it like a classic, just legendary song. Uh, I dig this song and uh, I love that like ragtimey piano that they threw in there, Edwin. I'm glad you pointed that out because it's awesome. It's like you know, it's like real ragtimeish sounding, like you know. Uh, what the fuck was that? I, I forget what the hell the name of that ragtime piano player was. I was real big. Scott Joplin. That's his yeah. name. Yeah, that's like, like, he's that. like it's yeah, that. It's like a, yeah, it's got like a jazz level of musicianship there. Like the way he just hits the notes. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 
it's a great one, man. It's a sexy song. It's kind of like a rocker, like almost like you know, you could definitely tell like me. Maybe some of the sleaze rock bands are listening to this because it's got like little, little tiny hints of it, like that sleaziness, you know, almost not too much, but just little, little hints of it. I hear you know? like influence on a lot of the early seventies glam rock. A lot exactly, of the, David yeah. Bowie. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, Latin yeah. Sane kind of. The and then, uh, yeah, you know, and Ryan Ryan Russell made a good point as to, uh, you know, this is where like you know. This is where, like, the album's ending kind of starts, because all these, like, Lovely Rita, all the way to the last song, they all kind of flow together in a way, and, uh, and especially, too, it's got that real creep, creepy, dark ending, because this is a real upbeat, happy, sexy-sounding song, but then it ends kind of dark and weird and, like, ominous, yeah. and I love that, though. I love, like, the creepy elements of this album. So, yeah, Lovely Rita, man, what a fucking great song. Uh, you know, I challenge anyone out there. Tell me another fucking amazing song as good as this one that's about one the fucking meter made. I doubt you'll find one. So, Ralph, take the next song, which is "Good Morning, Good Morning." I, I love this song. I do. I really do. But boy, can I not stand that fucking chorus, man! Good morning, <laughs> good morning, good morning. It reminds me back in the day. Get off my lawn. <laughs> when I used to work, right? Yeah. Alarm clock would go off, boy. I hated that alarm clock. Oh, I hate my fucking alarm clock. That's what this chorus reminds me of. Good morning. But that John comes in. Nothing to say, but it's okay. I I just love this fucking song. It just has a horrible chorus, man. It's like a hot chick with a big ass, ugly ass. Wart like right on her nose or something. <laughs> it, it, it's awesome, but it has this, you know, this defect. I never liked that good morning part, but it's an awesome song. Other than that, you know? So yeah, that's how I feel about good morning. Nice. Yeah, wait, wait, I forgot to also add, it even gets worse when they do good morning <laughs> later because then they throw in like chickens and fucking. And horns and all this crazy. Let's add more annoying noises to good morning at the end. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, it's like, oh man, it starts with ew. Then it, oh yeah, this is kicking ass. Then at the end, it's like, oh, oh, it's even worse. I want to take it next because my opinion is pretty much exactly the same as Ross. <laughs> Again, uh, lovely reading. Good morning, good morning. We're really uh, syncing up here. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it starts off cool. It's, it's very uh, kind of mid-60s kinks-ish. It sounds a little like something Ray Davies would do, and I got no problem with that. I love mid-60s kinks. Uh, it's cool. I like the horn. It's got a little bit of a Motown kind of vibe to it. And, John, and, I, and again, it's kind of about, you know, England and, you know, and, and John's neighborhood. And, you know, so I like it. But that chorus, man, that fucking... Remember what I said about Sgt. Pepper's chorus annoying me? That's like that times 10 on this fucking song. The chorus is so annoying. And I was like, oh, and I always hated it. Even when I was a fucking teenager doing drugs, I was like, that chorus is a bummer, man. <laughs> no one likes waking up in the morning, especially oh. when they're a teenager. It's just not, like, this is the thing, like, John, I know, like, there's a part where he sings kind of that, like, that bridge, which is much catchier than the chorus. Like, that should be the chorus of the song instead of the chorus. 
Like, and you know Lennon is capable of writing a really catchy chorus, so it's just like a waste. And then those sound effects, and I was thinking this again at the end, it's kind of a thing that was inspired by the end of Pet Sounds, and I love the Beach Boys Pet Sounds, and I, I prefer it to this album. But the only it's the only bum note. There's only one bum note in Pet Sounds, in my opinion, and that's at the end, after this amazing song, Caroline, Caroline No, this the coda of the like the sound effect like this train it's like annoying it's just like it, it the song was very personal and emotional and then we get this kind of jerk off sound effect at the end it's really just a quick coda so it's not like enough to spoil the album but it kind of makes me think of this where that's like where it's a little pretentious where we hear like chickens and bullshit and horns and it's just <laughs> it's just like you know just like just like rain it in beatles come on we know it's your masterpiece just fucking keep it in your pants Rain it in. Like, you could tell that they matured, that that's the thing. The second side of Abbey Road is McCartney essentially doing this again, but they've matured. You know, in a couple of years, you can tell, and, I, and this is why I do think overall Abbey Road's a better album. I think that it showed how much the Beatles grew. And, like, that's the thing. They were very young men. You know, they were just in their mid-20s when they did this. And... To their credit, it's a fucking masterpiece. I mean, what did you do in your mid-twenties? Did you create a, a masterpiece that changed culture? Probably not. So the fucking Beatles did. But yet, because they were geniuses, they could better that masterpiece in just a few years. And that's the thing. McCartney, I feel, did it kind of again, but didn't have fucking chicken sounds and shit. And annoying <laughs> choruses like, good morning, good morning. Like, they... like. He knew how to, and even in some of his solo albums, I feel like Ram and Band on the Run, where he kind of did this stuff again, but with a le level of maturity, where he kind of kept the fucking chicken sounds in his, you know, like he reined it in. And so, <laughs> so good, good morning, good morning. There's a good song in there with a lot of bullshit around it that's holding it back. So that's what I think about that song. What do you think about it, Ron? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I agree with a lot of what you guys had to say. I, I think that it, I love the verses, um, and I love the sound of the guitar specifically on the song. It's kind of unique, and it kind of foreshadows some of the stuff that John would write on the White Album specifically to me. Um, kind of like Glass Onion and stuff like that, where, where it had that kind of dirty guitar. Um so I think it foreshadowed some of that type of songwriting from him. It just sounds like an incomplete song. It sounds like a a, a song where they didn't really flush it out. Um, but uh, I, again, I think it holds its place in this album. I just this album is so ingrained in my head as just a whole one piece of thing. It has its place in there, um, and it's a cool John Lennon sounding song. But you know, a mediocre best chorus kind of stops it from being a great song on its own. But it, it holds its place in this album well, um, so it's, uh, you know, cool, cool too. What do you think of it, Eric? Oh, fuck, this song fucking rules, man. I love all the goofy-ass fucking farm noises, <laughs> the animal noise. I love hearing all the fucking chickens and the cows and whatnot. You know, I, I have a pet cat, and he wakes me up every goddamn morning, you know, meowing like a motherfucker. Uh, you know, because he wants to get fed, and he wants to get fed earlier every fucking morning, so this song does not annoy me as much as that. God damn. But, uh, this song fucking rules. I love it. Uh, this, you know, like I said, man, back in the day when, uh, back in the day, man, when I was struggling, I hit hard times, and, you know, I'm sleeping in my car every day, waking up for work. Like I said, this is an album I love to play when I was, like, falling asleep in my car, 
And uh, there's, you know, a couple times I woke up to the song, you know, like I'd hear the song playing when the sun was rising. Uh, especially, too, if it was like a weekend, because the weekends were awesome, because the weekends I knew I could, you know, go to a friend's house and, like, spend the night, crash out at his place, um, you know, and, uh, you know, we could at least hang out for a little bit. So something I looked forward to. So, you know, there was, like, one Thursday night I woke up and I heard this song, and it made me happy, because, you know, I was like, you know, hey, I got to get through the work day today, and, uh, hey, I can go spend the night at my friend's house, and we can hang out have a lot of fun, you know, and it's the weekend, you know, it's going to be fun this weekend, you know, again, this album hits me on a personal level, man, because this album helped me so much through some really shitty times in my life, so I love this song, it's got a charm to it, I can understand why some people may find it annoying, because all the goofy animal sounds and the, you know, kind of weird you know the annoying chorus but i dig it you know you know maybe it's just me being sentimental towards it but uh i love this fucking song i love the goofy animal noises you know it's it's fun it puts you in atmosphere and uh you know i kept talking about how this album's like you know this album's like a dream well this is like kind of waking up from a dream or this is like waking up from the a big party you went to where you're tripping acid, doing drugs and all this, and this is waking up in the morning, like, the the morning after. You know, so I dig this song. It's fucking phenomenal. God, uh, this I'm, really is your favorite fucking album. I fucking love this album, man. It's so Good morning, good morning. And I'm not even a morning person. I fucking hate mornings. I hate waking up in the morning, you know. Uh, I like to, I'm one of them people, I love to sleep in. But even I can't deny how great this song is, even me being an anti-morning person. And I'm going to change it up. You know, it's we year go with Ralph or Ryan, but Edwin, I'm going to let you take the next song, which is Sgt. Pepper's Reprised. Yeah, the full title is Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band, in parentheses, Reprised. Yeah, well, I could <laughs> say all that. I got lazy. <laughs> uh... Okay, if it's, I'm going to sound a little... It's a little how I feel about the first song, but even more so. Um, this song, it's... Oh, it's frustrating. Let me tell you why this song's frustrating. Because the Beatles invented heavy metal with this song, but kind of dropped the ball. <laughs> the, that, the, a, you got this awesome drum beat from Ringo. So awesome that the Beastie Boys sampled it uh, in the beginning. Great fucking drum beat from Ringo. And then those guitars come in, and this, I can tell you, the heaviest sounding guitars at this point in the history of rock and roll in 1967. Even he- heavier than what Jimi Hendrix did on Are You Experienced. Listen to that guitar sound. The dun 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 it's like a heavy metal guitar line. It's a little like what uh, Zeppelin did, like Communication Breakdown, but that was... You know, that was two years later. In 1967, the Beatles, before Helter Skelter, you know, which a lot of people say, ooh, that's like the first metal song. This, in in a lot of ways, that's a little more punk than heavy metal, too. But this has that kind of concentration of metal, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Very focused and kind of thrashy. And it's so innovative like you hear yeah. that and i even when i was a teenager i remember the first time i heard it like i almost thought like a different album was on like that sounds so modern sound like like i was just like a little thrown by because of the dun, 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 dun. yeah it's, but that well you say what you were gonna say here yeah it's funny too because it they're you know the reprise version this and the opening version are polar opposites 
the first version sounds like, you know, you got the orchestra at the beginning, sounds like you're performing in, like, a prestige, like, fancy concert hall. This one sounds like it was recorded in a fucking garage by a bunch of just, you know, by, like, some garage band. You know, it's real dirty and dirty sounding. This sounds like a bunch of drunk guys just jamming in a garage where the first one's very, you know, uh, pomp and circum... You know, it's very pomp, it's very, you know prestige, you know, sounds like it's in a big concert hall with all these rich, you know, snobby people, like, listening, so it's, they're total, polar opposites of the same song. Yeah, it's rockin', it's metal, I love it, but then they do the same thing that they did on the first one, where they start going, we're Sgt. Pepper's only hearts club band, but they do it faster, and suddenly, and suddenly they make it not the first metal song of all time, (laughs) so they ruin it, it's like, oh, now it's not the first metal song of all time. Because the first metal song of all time wouldn't have people singing the show tune over top of it. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you guys, you guys could have done that as well. You could have done all this other shit. You could have totally changed music as we've known it and invented heavy metal in the same fucking album. But you had to do that show tune shit over the song. <laughs> so, so that that's my so that's my mixed feelings I have. Of, and this is all in fucking one minute and eighteen seconds. In one minute and eighteen seconds. The Beatles invent heavy metal and drop the ball all in one minute and fucking 18 seconds. So that's what I think of this song. It's a mixed bag. <laughs> I love that opening drum and that fucking guitar riff, but I really am not crazy about that whole sing-songy show tune stuff. Anyway, so what do you think of it, Ralph? Oh, I love it. I love it. It's, uh, again, Game Changer. You got a bookend. You know, who did this before this album came out? Started a song that gets reprised. They invented the reprise, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's different, but it still connects a lot with the with the opening track. Um, I love it a lot, you know. I mean, I have no problem with that chorus. So obviously, I'm gonna like it more than Edwin, uh, Edward, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but I love it. I just love it. It's. It, it is a little odd, though. Though somehow I, I, um, you know, I don't have a problem with it. But this definitely it sounds like this should be what ends the album. But then when you hear the next song, you're like, no, 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 without a shadow of a doubt, the next song should end the album. So I think it was perfectly placed at the end with the before the crescendo. Mm-hmm. That's what I think of it. What do you think of the reprise, Ryan? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd be repeating a lot of what you guys have already said on it. Um, I, I think it is an interesting kind of thought that I've never really heard Paul talk about, that there might be, like, something to be said for, like, that first opening version being this band in kind of a proper theater and that ending version maybe being the band you know, 10 years later and being like just a different band and a different sound. And like, that was the modern version of the, you know, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. And yeah, like now they're in the future, like the first one yeah. is the past and yeah. this is the future. It's an interesting idea. Um, I've always wondered if, if that was specifically meant to be done that way. Cause it is, you know, it is kind of an end of the story kind of thing. It's, it's, you know, similar to Broadway plays where they bring back kind of a, a song or a part of a song from the beginning of the show and put it at the end of the show um you know and, and just follows up on that and and i we we've learned one thing tonight is that edwin does not like shows 
<laughs> yeah, do not play any show teams around this man. Uh, I gotta ask, though, like, are you a big Queen fan, Edwin? Because they do a lot of show um, me sounding new stuff. Well, let's just say my favorite Queen song is I'm in love with my car. <laughs> it's not what a Freddie Mercury. What, what the fuck was Roger Taylor doing to his car? I think the FBI needs to be called. I, I prefer Roger Taylor when he sang the song. So listen, uh, Freddie Mercury, obviously, wonderful singer, beautiful voice. I like some Queen, Queen songs. Queen is kind of like Sgt. Pepper. I have to be in a certain mood. If I'm in a certain mood, I can kind of get into some Queen. But uh, I have mixed feelings about them. I have mixed feelings about them. Kind of, yeah. I'm yeah. not the biggest Queen fan because they're, I mean, their stuff's really like out there, like kind of radical and very diverse. So I'm not like, I, I love some Queen songs. I don't hate them as much as like, let's say like Ian Wadley, but uh, I dig some Queen, but I'm not like a big, big fan, you know? I'm, I'm like, I don't hate them like Ian Wadley, but it's like the OJ Chris Rock thing about like how, what do I say about like, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, he should have done it, but I understand. I'm not saying that Ian Wadley should hate Queen as much as he does, but I understand. I can see him <laughs> frustrated if like, I, I mean, I can understand like the whole frustration if you don't like a certain band or whatever, but like everyone fucking loves them and you can imagine people probably like, shove them down his throat or like yeah. you know appeal gotta be like oh do you like queen you know like do you like queen it's like you know i, I could see that maybe just getting annoying to the point where you're like yeah you know what fuck this band you know i got it like i saw the movie you know the uh, bohemian rhapsody oh, the movie was it, great it, well this is what i have to say i, I was not the, necessarily the biggest fan but it worked you know i saw the movie theater and it's just like let's just say i got it like i saying like not really it's not really the kind of biopic i'm interested in yeah queen's not one of my favorite fans but i get it i get why people lost their shit for it you know and i you know i get why people lose their shit if they watch you know fucking freddie mercury singing a song like you know live on youtube like yeah the man was amazing but it's just you know we can't we can't love everything equally in this world you know you gotta say hey man hey hey. (laughs) we rule fuck joe cocker I do like Queen better than Joe Cocker. At least Freddie Mercury doesn't sound like some fucking pretentious hobo in a corner trying to get money from me. <laughs> At least fucking Freddie Mercury never wrote a song about suckers in three-piece fucking suits and three-piece suits. Hey, let me tell you that Freddie Mercury might have fucked guys in a bathhouse, you know, in glo- 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 glory holes or whatever, but he still took a shower. <laughs> yeah. He took a shower afterwards. <laughs> Not the fucking... Right hippie, hunky soul singer. Since we've we reached the Queen portion of this show, I have to Yeah. Bitch, you trick and a Queen portion. I absolutely worship Queen. Hell yeah! And it, it actually, Edwin, it makes sense like, your thoughts on this album if you're not particularly a Queen fan, because I will say the Queen stole a lot from the Beatles when it comes to like this album in particular and making albums sound like a show soundtrack. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of like like Queen is a band that sounds like Sgt. Pepper was their biggest Beatles album, and like, it's like why I, I like I love Oasis because they sound more like they like Revolver more. Like like that's just like it's it's yeah it's which Beatles is your favorite is going to dictate how much I like yes. this. Yeah. Queen <laughs> were listening to Sgt. Peppers and they're like, these motherfuckers are spitting. Yeah. yeah. For, for anybody that's a huge Queen and huge Beatles fan, if you've never heard of a band called Jellyfish, uh, they're a band that kind of 
drew on the influences of those two bands in particular, but really embraced kind of the show side of it, the show tuny, uh, big, big, you know, harmonizing choruses and everything like that. Uh, Jellyfish is an incredible band uh, that did a lot of that stuff. Guys. All right. And so, Eric, uh, I guess you're the only one that hasn't chimed in for the reprise. What do you think about <laughs> Uh, I fucking love it. Um, you know, there's a couple things that kind of chimed in with saying on your part, but uh, I love it, you know, and I love how, uh, you know, Good Morning, Good Morning bleeds right into Sgt. Pepper's. Um, and, you know, like Ryan Russell made a good point about, you know, this sounds like the band 20 years later, the same band from the opening. Uh, the way I look at it, this is like kind of like the after party, because like Good Morning, Good Morning is like waking up from the hangover, waking up from this wild night you had. And, you know, like, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, this could be, like, you know, the band having some kind of jam session after party afterwards. It's, you know, I used to, you know, I had friends that were in bands and whatnot. I'd go see their shows, and we'd stay up late as fuck, you know. We'd go to the rehearsal space that the band played at, party, drink, and, like, the band would be jamming, but people would be joining on. So I could see that, too, being, like, you know... This is the band after the show, after partying. They're just having this big jam session, like, leading into the morning before everyone passes out. Uh, so that's the way I kind of always viewed it. But I, I love it. It's a pretty good reprisal, real, like you know, real heavy version of the heavier version of the song. And uh, leads right into probably easily, you know, one of the greatest songs ever written in history. And I'm going to let... Uh, since you don't like this album as much, Edwin, I'm gonna let you take this one, A Day in the Life. Okay, well, here we go. I might redeem myself with some people <laughs> that hated me. Uh, I'm sure people have figured it out, probably already figured it out, but yes, this is my favorite song on the album. Uh, it's like, I'll say this, McCartney has been, even though, like I said, that he's experimenting and doing different things, at the core of his songs, I still feel like this was the McCartney that we've been hearing on the prior albums on Rubber Soul and stuff like that. Like, you know, you listen to Lovely Rita and, and you know, fixing a hole and getting better. And like, yeah, I can hear that this is an evolution from that same, that optimism that like Ralph talks about. Like there's that optimism to Paul McCartney's songs. Like you hear him and there's something uplifting about it and it's ear candy and the melodies are beautiful and it's like yeah this sounds like the same guy that wrote all those great songs like the guy who wrote michelle and yesterday and you know i've just seen a face like i like yeah that's that guy and even though lucy in the sky and like being for the benefit of mr kite they're like cool trippy songs they felt disconnected to me from who lennon was before and and it's like he's like doing a show like he's doing asset and he's getting into this concept that mccartney came up with and he's doing a show and this is really and this is what i think makes this song so poignant it's like finally the real lennon comes back like at the end like at the end in a day in the life like now this is the guy because one thing that i don't think people talk enough about is that lennon could write some of the most beautiful ballads and and if you especially like in the early Beatles, like all the way from like if I fell, um, and no reply, and in my life, you know, from Rubber Soul, like this is that guy coming back and taking it to the next level. Like now that Lennon, the Lennon that, that can write this beautiful, heartbreaking, bittersweet ballad, 
comes finally shows up again. It's like he's been missing throughout this whole album. The soul of John Lennon has been missing from this album. It's been more or less Paul McCartney playing dress up with with the Beatles, and and now the show's over in like the heart of the Beatles. You know, like McCartney might be the brains of the Beatles, but I gotta say, I think Lennon was the heart of the Beatles. And now it comes back. Like we finally, and this song does have some bells and whistles. There's a few moments, like when the strings do the crescendoing thing, that I think it's a little overblown. That I feel like two years later they wouldn't have produced it quite like that. But the song is so amazing that I'll let it go for that one little nitpick. Like it's one of the greatest songs ever written. It's beautiful. When McCartney does come in and add that, he adds that little bridge. It's a, it's a wonderful bridge. It adds, it's a nice counterpoint to the song. But it's really the heart of the verses. That beautiful melody, Lennon's soulful singing. I say, for the most part, another thing I have an issue with this album. It's not very ballad heavy. It's not, it's not a very emotional album. That's the thing. Whereas the other albums are more emotional. I feel. And finally, we get some emotion. Finally, we get some heart. And even though the lyrics are kind of absurdist, they there's pathos in them, in the way they're sung, in the mood of the music. It's so like there's moments that are very gentle. It, it's it's the genius of the Beatles, and it, it, that's the heart. That's the thing that draws me back to the Beatles. That's the heart and the emotion of the Beatles. And but even even McCartney's part in the middle, like it has that great. Like after he does his little bouncy section, it has that great bridge that leads you back into the song. Where to me, it kind of foreshadows the ending of Hey Jude when he does the whole, you know, the thing with the vocal. It's it's amazing. It's amazing and it's beautiful and it's haunting. And then the way it comes back to Lennon at the end for the final verse. It's a magical song. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. I could only imagine how powerful it might it must have been to people listening to this for the first time in 1967. It's it's one of the greatest finales of. I'm thinking about this, even though this is my least favorite Beatles song, album. This is probably I would say their greatest last song. It's you know, and even with the overdone final piano, but the song is so great that it justifies it. It justifies having the fucking most over-the-top ending ever of an album, you know, the final chord. It's it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece within a masterpiece, but I think it's the greater masterpiece within the lesser masterpiece, if you know what I mean. Saying to me, this this is what this is where the album really gets real, and it kind of sets up the White Album and Abbey Road, and you know, where I think the Beatles got even richer and darker and meatier with the next couple records. And it's an amazing song, and I'm glad that we're going to probably end up talking 30 minutes about it. You go, Ralph. What do you think of a day in the life? Well, I, you know, look, I am not a stupid person. <laughs> I graduated high school, man, but I never went to college, okay? And I made all my bones and everything. Yes, I was homeless too there for a little while. Yeah. Uh, because, you know what I mean? But I, I'm street smart, you know? I yeah. made, you know, in the streets now. My favorite Beatles song of all time is In My Life from Rubber Soul. Hands Love down. it. Beautiful but, song. But the reason it's my favorite is because I never went to college. Because if I went to college, A Day in a Life is better. <laughs> my favorite song of all time is Stargazer by Rainbow. But if I went to college, A Day in a Life is better. A Day in a Life to me, 
I'm trying to become uh, uh, like countercultural. College, college pompous here. This is the greatest song ever written. I get what you say. Like objectively, you could hear that this is the greatest like yeah. pop song ever written. And, and, and you know, my favorite band is Black Sabbath. But objectively, yeah, the Beatles are better. You know, but you know, Black Sabbath moves my soul. But I understand what the Beatles did was much more in a grand scale of musical, you know, velocity. <laughs> Fucking yep. the Beatles, man. A Day in a Life to me is the greatest song ever written by anybody. Now, I'm still gonna say Rainbow Stargaze and this night because I'm not that bright. But this <laughs> is this is the greatest song ever written, ever written, better than in my life. I love the hell out of the song. And a little uh, fun fact about the ending with that piano noise. That piano noise blends back in. To the George Martin produced Cheap Trick album, All Shook Up. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. my favorite Cheap Trick album as of right now. Yeah, and uh, so, um, which is very interesting. Um, I love it. And I love, I, I love, you know, the build up. And, and you know what, what Eddie was saying earlier, if, if two years later, they wouldn't have done this, you know, uh, that build up. I'm glad. I'm glad they did it at this time and not during Abbey Road. Because, to me, that crescendo shit is awesome. It's fucking freaky, and I love it. <laughs> and how it goes into the McCartney thing, then it goes into the dream state, then it goes back into the Lennon thing, then it goes back into the, the orchestra thing, and then abruptly ends up just one note piano thing that just like, bleeds out. It's it's just perfection. This is this is the greatest song ever written. Wow! Hell yeah! What do you think of it, Ryan? Well, I don't know where we can go from there. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, I mean it is. It's it's that good. It's it changed music forever. This song, this album did, but I think this song more specifically. Um, I, I remember seeing a documentary, and I, I couldn't tell you what documentary it was. I've watched so many movies, so many documentaries about the Beatles, but they were t- talking about a guy I'm not even a big fan of, David Crosby, and David Crosby was pretty good friends with John at the time and before the album even came out he went to the studio and John just put two big speakers in front of him just played him this song and he talked about like listening to it and he said like he said I'd never felt that way like listening to a song for the first time in my life I've never felt like that since and he said it was just like it was almost like a religious experience and I was like I couldn't even understand what I was hearing and then he said in that, you know, that final crescendo and note, you know, and just the one, you know, piano sustained to finish the song. He said he's like, the best way I could describe it is that my brain just poured out of my ear and like melted onto the floor. Like musicians, everybody, when this song came out, people heard that song specifically. People were just like, their brains were melted. It was that magical. It was that different. It was that... I mean, they, they took like three steps up a ladder from what they had done on Rubber Soul and Revolver with this song. And it's just, you know, you can't overstate it, but it is, I mean, you know, it's debatable, obviously, and everybody has their taste, but it'd be pretty hard to say there's a better song ever written than this. It's just, it's brilliance. It's magic coming together somehow from like three different pieces of songs and they figured out a way to put it into one. It's just, it's magic. 
Wow. So, Eric, what do you think of this masterpiece, obviously? Oh, my God. I mean, this this is, like, considered one of the greatest songs ever for a fucking reason. Uh, oddly enough, I this is probably, like, uh, this easily, like, probably my favorite song of all time. Um, well, next to another song. Uh, but uh, this is probably easily my favorite song of all time. Yet my favorite Beatles song is In My Life, if that even makes sense. But, but yeah, that's uh, what, yeah, what Ralph yeah, is saying. But, uh, oh my gosh, just this song, just the twist, like the twists and turns it takes, yet all flows together so, like, perfectly. And, uh, you know, this is just a phenomenal song. And, uh, you know, this is the one I was talking about very early in the episode where I said this is one that could definitely stand alone. Um, you know, it fits with the, with the album. But this is one of the only songs I feel you could really take away from the context of the album, and it still works. Uh, whereas I feel the rest of the songs, you you need to hear them like together in order as an album. This is the one song that's an exception where you can play this just on its own, and it'll still hit you just the same way. Uh, every time I listen to this song, it's like I discover something new about it. Um, I love, you know... You know, Paul's, you know, little part that he does in the middle. I love the orchestrations in it. And, uh, you know, it, it's, again, going back to the whole thing of, like, it's it's kind of creepy. You know, like, the, the crescendo in it with in the middle, you know, it's like it just, it it builds up your heartbeat. It gets you, like, you know, it gets your blood pumping. It gets you kind of nervous, like, oh, fuck, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Goes into the McCartney part. And then at the end, does the same fucking thing. It's just such an epic epic way to end the album it's you know cinematic. It's, it's so cinematic um you know without sound and it doesn't it's cinematic without having to sound without sounding pretentious yes they just I, made it fucking work you know it's yeah. so many twists and turns it's like a beautiful ballad but then you got these like classical elements these show tune elements these creepy kind of elements it's just they blend it all together in such a beautiful way I love this song. There's a reason why this song is considered one of the best ever written. You know, this is just, you know, this is why the Beatles are geniuses. Just listen to songs like this. This is why they are geniuses, and they deserve all the credit in the world. I fucking, fucking love Day in the Life. Beautiful fucking song. And I even love the weird ending I was gonna say after the song. Are we gonna talk about? Let's talk. We about need to talk about that. Yeah, we, we fucking love it. Before we go into that, I want to bring up the fact that there's a very, um, really popular movie from Lucio um, uh, Fauci called Zombie Two. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie, like the guy that always did his soundtrack shit, this guy called Fabio Frizzi, when he did the soundtrack to. Zombie 2, it was totally inspired by a day in life. That's now, are you crazy. talking about Zombie 2 or Zombie? Because there's a lot of confusion with that because the original Zombie... Zombie with an I. Yeah, so so the w- film that in Italy was Zombie 2, but everywhere else was oh, yeah, Zombie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. okay, what happened was the first Zombie was, uh, it was basically the, the Italian cut of Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Right. And then they released Zombie 2, but then when it came out in America, the zombies are so much confusion about it. Yeah, well, so you mean the one where the zombie fights the shark? Yeah, that one. Yeah. Where the chick's eye goes through a little piece of wood. Oh, God, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I can't, that's, that's so hard movie. to watch. Yeah. I never knew that, though, so he was inspired by A Day in the Life. 
Yeah, he, he, it was. It was the, the music to that movie was totally inspired by just that one song. Wow, I have I'll to. T- I have to watch that now because I have. I own that movie, so I gotta watch that again with that in mind. Yeah, I didn't notice that, but yeah, I'll have to rewatch it, and maybe now it'll stick out. Right, that's crazy. So uh, yeah, so let's uh, while we're talking about creepy stuff, let's talk about because this album doesn't really end with a day in the life or that piano sound. There's a little something else at the end. It's the first Fucking terrifying, the first bonus track. But this bonus track is probably the best bonus track ever. Cause <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Uh, it's really weird track. and freaky. How would you describe it, Eric? Um, God, it's like it's like if we ended this episode, if there's like five, if we ended this episode, and there's five seconds of silence, and you just hear all these random creepy fucking noises. It's just, oh, it's just, it's terrifying. It's like it's a hidden track because it starts like maybe a couple seconds after it ends. There's a like, little hiss noise. I hear there's a sound that apparently only dogs can hear. Like there's some kind of there's sound. a lot of different yeah. noises going on. It's it's terrifying, man. Like. If you're listening to this song for the first time, you're listening to it at night by yourself, it's going to scare the fucking shit out of you. Like, it's... Ah, like, I can't even describe it. Like, you know, you'll probably be hearing it underneath us. Yeah, I, I, I can't up. wait to hear you edit this, because I want to hear this on the I'm going to pull a lot of work. <laughs> you know, much like the, how the Beatles and George Martin did, I'm going to pull a lot of work into editing this episode. I'll try and add some bells and whistles to it, but uh, it's... <laughs> Oh, it's creepy, and I know Kiss, again, the Kiss comparison to Destroyer, uh, they end the album the same way, where it's, like, real kind of creepy-sounding. Yeah, uh, I, I heard that this loop, they call it the run-out loop, like, on the original vinyl, like, it was an infinite groove, so, like... Unless where you had to lift the needle. You, you had to lift the needle, otherwise it would just kept skipping and playing oh, it again and again and that's again. That's awesome. A little, yeah. like, it, it's kind of like Revolution 9, but much shorter and you can yeah. the needle so i'm sure ralph refers to revolution nine and for that reason <laughs> well fucking uh I, I was pissed though because my my wife got me this album on vinyl for my birthday a couple years ago and uh it was like the the remat this big like remastered version it did yeah. not have that creepy ending i was waiting for that and it was such a letdown i was like no they didn't include the creepy like hidden ending and <laughs> you know the evil like demonic sounding shit at the end they didn't include it it is on so the digital versions that i have and it fades out what it does on like the digital versions is it plays for a couple seconds and then fades out yeah so uh ralph what do you think of the run out crew at the end of sark pepper it, uh, it, it is on the mono version of the mono box set yeah the vinyl mono yeah because i listened to that today and it, does it, it does it repeat forever unless you move the needle or does it stop? Oh, no uh but but then again it's probably because of my turntable because Def Leppard high and dry ends like that. No, 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 no. Yeah. Now, but my 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 turntable lifts up the needle. You know, oh. and that's the album I had back in the day when my old turntable wouldn't lift the needle. You know, but um, oh, uh, and also Twist Sister um, under the blade. Wow. And then that god awful Vinnie Vincent album with that guitar yeah, feedback. Yeah, woo, right. woo, yeah. woo. Um. What, the the memory of this uh, this there was this really hot show that worked uh, on the same street as uh, uh, my dad's hardware store, which I worked for for a little while. And I was playing Sergeant Pepper in, in my job. I I used to have the boombox on top of the Pepsi machine that was like twenty feet away from me, and I was listening to Sergeant Pepper. And she just walked in when this started. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "What the hell is that?" And I go, I go. I go that's the Beatles, and she goes, 
I love the Beatles. <laughs> I like, yeah, it's the Beatles. Oh, this shit sucks. Oh my god. No, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You, you don't want to sing along to it. Oh, catchy too. <laughs> Never mind. That reminds me of a story. There's this guy that, you know, he's hooking up with this girl and he had, like, all this music on his iPod. But as a joke, he had, like, this, it was, like, five minute long, like, loop of just, like, fart noises. Well, he put his iPod on shuffle while he's, like, hooking up with this girl trying to make love to her. And, like, right when he's about to, like, you know, right when he's about to go in, he's about to go in deep, that fucking music, that fart noise clip starts playing. So he had to, like, get up and, like, change his iPod from all this farting noises. And it totally killed the mood, he said. Yeah. So it's just like a fart at the end of Sgt. Pepper for you, Ralph? Or do you let it slide? I hate it. I hate it. Uh, I, unless, I'm, I, unless something's happening, I can't get to the record company or, or whatever, or the iPod, whatever. You know, I will turn this off. They give you enough time because that, that piano fade out is pretty yeah, yeah. long. Which would you rather listen to? There are times, there are times like, you know, I'm listening to, like today, for instance. I'm listening to the album today, but I forgot about the ending. So, you know, I'm just like, you know, and I'm doing, I'm doing a little cleaning up actually in my bedroom while it was playing, and then all of a sudden that came, oh shit. Do you know why it's supposed to say backwards? Do you know about that, Ralph? Uh, no, no. Okay, this might make you like it better because it's cool. Apparently, it, well, it's backwards. What you're hearing is like a snippet of backwards. Uh, uh, it's a, supposedly a conversation, John and Paul or someone talk in the studio with some other sound effects, but it's backwards. Uh, but apparently, when people played it, you know, uh, played it, played the record backwards and heard the backwards music forward, it's like a foreshadowing of the Paul's dead shit. What they heard, the comment, what most people say is that it, they're saying, well, fuck you like Superman. Ooh, that's really? going to be rough. Yeah, Paul McCartney himself said that someone told him this. There's a quote. Paul McC You can look it up. Paul McCartney himself, he, although he doesn't say it was intentional, but he might be lying, because he's a cheeky bastard, that Paul McCartney. He could be lying. <laughs> but, he, but he acknowledged that it did sound like it. He said, I played it after someone said that. And and he said it was like clear as day. Well, fuck you, like Superman. And I thought, well, what are you gonna do? I guess we're saying that. <laughs> my, my, my editing program, I can do that to songs. I listened to it. It's on YouTube, and it 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 does sound like they're kind of saying, well, well, fuck you, like Superman. It does kind. I can hear how people are saying it. Of course, the suggestion of that might make you know that might be why I'm hearing it because I'm listening for it. But did you know about that, Ryan? Did you know about the "Well, fuck you like Superman" thing? Yeah, I, I do remember <laughs> hearing that at, at some point. Um, but uh, my kind of whole, you know, listen, it's it's kind of a throwaway. I, I think it's kind of cool just because it people weren't doing a lot of stuff like that at the time, and it's such a short little thing. Um, but I I do appreciate the fact that uh, Edwin has worked in two great British words, Cheeky and Randy, in the episode. I mean, you couldn't do a Beatles episode without using Cheeky and Randy. I'm going to make a mental note to use those more in my just everyday talk. I love a lot of British slang. Here's another thing that I don't hear people talk a lot about that's kind of interesting. Do you guys, are you hip to like Cockney slang where they like make up words or essentially puns they're like these little cheeky puns where they like an example would be like remember in Wayne's world where like Wayne will say baking powder instead of beg your pardon you know what I mean 
Yeah. Yeah. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Powder? Yeah. Exactly. That's kind of what. That's kind of like an example of Cockney slang. And apparently the Beatles were kind of into that themselves. And you know, one of the things they say is why it's Sergeant Pepper is it's it's a little cheeky pun on salt and pepper. Ah, uh, yeah. So set of salt. Yes, yeah, no, I'm fascinated with all yeah. the different dialects and all the different areas of the UK and how you yeah. could meet somebody from one area of the UK where you could talk to them and understand them very well. And there's other people, and Cockney is one of them, where it's almost like they're speaking a different language. Yeah, like, it's like that. Yeah, Liverpoolian interpreter, or you yeah. need some kind of like you know subtitles to know what the hell they're saying. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So Sergeant Pepper, Salt and Pepper, and it kind of makes sense. Salt and Pepper. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. Uh, one last thing, uh, just to wrap it up, because I am kind of curious, especially with this album. And you know, I'm, I would say I'm the biggest audiophile, but I, you know, I love music. Obviously, I'm you know obsessed with it, so I do get into. I was into, So I, so I get into this. Yeah, we got a podcast about it. <laughs> so I, this whole like stereo versus mono thing. Like normally, I don't discuss it with a lot of these older albums, but it is a kind of an issue with this album, especially because I'm. I'm a much bigger fan of the mono version, especially the Same. versus. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. Mono Beatles is the way to go. Yeah, and, and this version, I just think it's much stronger. I do actually like that remix stereo better than the original stereo. The original stereo mix had a lot of problems with it, including my least favorite song on the album was even worse because it was slower and longer. Uh, She's leaving home was like at the wrong speed. Like for years, people were listening to this song at the wrong speed like it was slower but the mono version was a little faster and it's a, it's a little bit better that way um and with the new stereo remix that george martin's son did it, it's a little beefier it's a little bit better than that original stereo mix but i still i was listening to both of them today you know i was listening to the stereo remix in the mono and now the mono is still the way to go and it's the way George Martin thought people should listen to it too there's just some quality to it it's hard to describe but there's an atmosphere and character to this album that is not really you kind of lose with the stereo mix even though in theory in theory you think oh well this is a psychedelic album with a lot of bells and whistles and different sound effects so you want you know when listening to headphones you want to listen to in stereo and maybe on headphones you do want to listen to the stereo version of this but I gotta tell you there's a power to this album when you just listen to it without headphones just out of the speakers and mono that just make you feel uh, it just sound it rocks a little bit more and it just it has more atmosphere to it I think so I'm definitely a fan of the mono version it sounds like you are too Ralph oh yeah way better than this because I was used to the stereo version that's all I had was on the CD. But, um, yeah, not only this album, but a lot of the earlier ones that I'm, I'm used to the stereo version of that Rubber Soul Revolver, I think they all sound better. Yeah, Revolver sounds much better, I think, yeah. than Mono. Much more rocking. Yeah, so yeah, Mono is the way to go for sure. Yeah. For sure. What about you, Ryan? Mono, stereo. You know, I am uh, a huge music fan, but, like, I, I have this conversation with a lot of my friends, and, like, there's some people who have, like, crazy ear for detail of production, crazy ear for, like, quality of, like, a stereo, you know, sound and all that. I think I was born with a ton of just, like, kind of feel for music, but when it comes to the technical side of stuff, 
I don't think I have a great ear for that stuff. I so you can't really hear a difference? I do hear a difference, but it's nothing like where I'm like, I have to have this Is that a sound effect from Sergeant Pepper? No, <laughs> good morning, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> uh, Eric, what? sick of hearing us talk about the Beatles. Eric, finally with you. Do, can you hear a difference between mono and stereo? Do you have ears like that? Or is it just uh, me and Ralph? I usually, I got a little bit of an ear for uh, production. Like, just a little bit. I don't know, like, you know, I'm not as detailed as some people, but I definitely do notice a difference, and I love, love the mono versions way better. Um, I'm always kind of a fan of, like, kind of like, you know, you know, I've always been a fan, too, of, like, you know, rougher production. Like, I love the first May and album. I love the sound of the first May and album. I love, like, the sound of, like, early, like, you know, like, early metal too, you know, yeah. with like, uh, I love the drum sounds from like the late 70s, early 80s, more than like that Bob Rockish kind of polished, bombastic drum sound. Uh, so I got a little bit of an ear for like production sounds, but I definitely, I gotta go with the mono versions. It just sounds so much better. So, right, one, one last thing, because uh, you, you and Ralph both have the, your favorite Beatles song. Uh, it's In My Life. And so, I figure Mine too. People, yeah, yeah. You both have that as your favorite Beatles song, so I figure people like might, might be curious what me and Ryan's are. So, Ryan, what's your favorite Beatles song? Just curious. Is Ryan there? Did he leave? I think he died. His, right. mi- his mic's off. He may be getting his dog or something. All right. What, what is your favorite? I'm here. I'm here. Oh, there uh, he uh, what's your favorite Beatles song, Ryan? I don't know. It's very hard for me to say one, but if you just ask me off the top of my head, I would say Dear Prudence. All right, good choice. Interesting. Good choice. Good choice. I do love that song. I mean, they're both, both you, all you guys have great choices. Uh, mine's actually You Never Give Me Your Money. It's my favorite Beatles song. Ooh. I feel like that's... interesting one, yeah. I, I feel like that's every Beatles song in four minutes. It's, not, it's like everything. You got the ballad, you got the rock and roll, and you got the hard rock. Like, it kind of... It's everything. It's their whole evolution in four minutes. And there's something about the song. Ever since I was a little kid, there used to be a place. Ralph would probably remember this place. Actually, Ryan, you might too, because you, you uh, spent time in Florida. Remember Showbiz Pizza Place? Ooh. <laughs> yeah, Showbiz Pizza Place. There were. It's kind of like Chuck E. Cheese, but yeah. the puppets were better and they sang better songs. Uh, so like they, Chuck E. Cheese with blackjack and hookers. They, they, it, chunky cheese is fucking shit. I hate a chunky cheese, <laughs> but I love Showbiz Pizza Place. They used to, they, they had a band. They had a ba- band of these robot like gorillas and bears and wolves and shit up there, <laughs> and they played the end of Abbey Road. Like that was a thing they did. Like they would do the whole second side of Abbey Road. Started very cooler than Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, yeah. They started with Because. Like it opened with Because, and then they went all the way to uh, carry that weight and the. Uh, uh, actually, they even did Her Majesty. They went all the way. And yeah. so that was actually the first time I heard the end of Abbey Road was by Showbiz Pizza Place. And, yeah, the Showbiz Pizza. Yeah. And as a little kid, that you never give me your money uh, but being played by these fucking puppets at this pizza joint in Florida. It just uh, <laughs> resonated with me. And when I so when I was a teenager and I like listened to Abbey Road for the first time, it 
there was this tinge of nostalgia and stuff that was brought up, but the song in itself is a masterpiece, and the whole album's a masterpiece. And they're the, as Paul McCartney would say, it, they're the bloody Beatles. You know, what are you going to do? They're, of course, you know, who can't love the fucking Beatles? You know, I don't know. You're denying People life. like Sammy Hagar. You're denying life if you're denying the Beatles. It's the joy of music, you know. To me, to dislove... I mean, listen, we're all going to have our taste, but if you don't love the Beatles or some Beatles music, it's like you almost don't love music, in my opinion. Yeah, everyone's yeah. got to at least have one Beatles song minimum that they like. Come on, even like if you're a headbanger, you got to love Helter Skelter. Come yeah. on, there's got to be something you got to love. Anyway, so we're going to wrap up. Thank you so much, Ralph and Ryan. Uh, first you, Ralph. Do you any closing thoughts on Sergeant Pepper and anything you'd like to recommend or a radical out? recommendation? Yeah. I got the blessing from Mick Watkins. Yeah, okay. Ralph, you still there? Oh fuck, we're losing him. Oh, we're losing it. Hey, Ryan, <laughs> oh, we'll go to you. <laughs> Everyone's yeah, taking just, their just wrap it up. First of all, thanks for having me, guys. I always love talking of course. music. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah. Specifically love talking Beatles. Um, I, I just, the, the thing that always blows my mind about their music in general is just, we're talking 55 years later since this album was recorded, and it still sounds as fresh today as it did 55 years ago. And that's the true test of great music. I mean, if it still holds up, you know, over a, you know, 55 years later you've done something right and and the beatles their you know their whole catalog resonates that much later but this stuff in particular i mean you, you could tell me this was if i'd never heard it before you could tell me it was recorded last week and i'd believe you man it's, it's that it's that good it's it's that far ahead of its time for when it was done and, and the thing that's crazy is i mean this album would probably rank like sixth or seventh on my favorite beatles albums and that's not a knock on this album. It's just how much I love the rest of their catalog. And how, I mean, they, they played an enormous role in my life, um, this band and all their music. So, I mean, to say it's my, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh favorite album is not a shot at all. It's just yeah. how much I love the rest of the catalog. All right. Well said. Well said. Well, thank you for joining us, Ryan. It, did Ralph come back? Yeah, yeah, I'm back. Okay, hey, Ralph. So, any closing thoughts on the Beatles and anything you'd like to uh, recommend or, you know, shout out? Well, the Beatles, love them or hate them, you cannot argue that they are the only band to achieve what they have achieved. They changed the world. Um, like I was saying before, you know, I mean, uh, Black Sabbath is my favorite uh, band, but, you know, objectively, really, the Beatles. And I feel the same way about Sgt. Pepper. Uh, Rubber Soul is my favorite, and I can pick like three or four over Sgt. Pepper, but ob objectively, this is their best album, their most important album, but it's also the most important album in history, you know? So, um, what can I say? Nobody is better, and, you know, I'm a Beatles fan, but anybody that doesn't like the Beatles, okay, whatever, you know, it's your loss, but there's one thing I will win an argument over, is any Beatles hater there that does not understand the impact of the Beatles. There you're wrong. You can, I'm not going to say you're wrong for hating them, but you're wrong what they serve in the history of rock and roll and of music. They're the most important band ever. Ever. And John Lennon and Paul McCartney's Lightning in a Bottle, there never will be uh, two people that 
did such crafted, amazing songs than Lennon and McCartney, hands down the greatest songwriters ever. You know? I know there's a lot of people that want to be counterculture. No, Harrison, fuck you. Fuck yeah. you with your Harrison bullshit. I like <laughs> <laughs> favorite Beatle, but you know what, man? Do I? I love the song "Something." I love "Here Comes the Sun." I love "Don't Bother Me." I love a lot of Harrison songs. I think he wrote the best solo song out of all the Beatles. Uh, what you do? What, what's that? What is life? I I can't help but love that song. Out of all the solo material, that's like the my favorite song out of all four of their solo materials. It's that, it's a it's a great song. I, I mean, I, song. I, I would put about like hundred solo McCartney songs ahead of it. But, but I, oh, I love I love solo McCartney. <laughs> He's my favorite solo artist. Of, yeah, yeah, of, I, of I, can't, I can't deny how much I love. Yeah. What although, actually, you know, you know, my although for the most part, McCartney is my favorite solo artist. But my actual favorite solo Beatles song is is actually Ringo song. It's um, yeah, it don't come easy. Is my favorite solo Beatles song. Damn. Yeah, I think it's nice. Amazing song. It's just like one of the greatest pop rock songs I've ever written, I actually think. So, well, Ralph, is there anything anything you want to recommend everyone listen to? Yeah. The Beatles. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> the Beatles. All right. Uh, and I'll just say, I think uh, people should listen to... Uh, let's see, The Beatles. Uh, besides the Beatles. Listen to Mystery Tour. If for any crazy reason... You have not listened to the Beatles albums, uh, and you listen to Sgt. Pepper. Well, it's essentially Sgt. Pepper Part Two, Electric Boogaloo. Listen to Mystery Tour. I like it better. Although Sgt. Pepper has had more of an impact and it has a better finale, I definitely like A Day in the Life better than All You Need Is Love. But overall, overall song from song by song, you know, so, uh, I would definitely say that I think Mystery Tour has stronger songs. And I, I I agree with that one hundred percent. It's got stronger songs. Yeah, I mean, but I think Sgt. Pepper flows better. Yeah, but Mystery Tour is just I mean, it's so many. Cra- hey, I like I like the title track better than Sgt. Pepper. But you got Fool in the Hill, you got I'm the Wars, you got Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields Forever, uh, oh, Baby I'm a Rich Fields. Man is it's one of my big. favorite Beatles B sides. I love Baby I'm a Rich Man. It's a great album, so definitely, and that's really, this was like a short period, if we're talking not like, uh, like, this is like full-fledged psychedelic Beatles, there's really only two albums, Revolver is like half rock and roll, half psychedelic, the White Album is kind of half rock and roll, maybe a quarter psychedelic, in terms of like two psychedelic pop albums, because they're not really rock, they're more psychedelic pop, I'd say it's really just Sgt. Pepper and Mystery Tour. Yeah, so like definitely, definitely check out Mystery Tour. After you listen to Sgt. Pepper, listen to Mystery Tour because to me it's like part one, part two. Yeah, it, I think they have a lot of segments in their career like that. I think uh, Rubber Soul and Revolver were similar when they came from a lot of the same recording sessions, and then yeah. uh, the the two albums you're talking about right now, but also Let It Be and Abbey Road. I mean, pretty much all that. Yep. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like sister albums. Yeah. yeah. And Eric, any final uh, things you want to say about the Beatles or anything you want to recommend? Oh, uh, man. Uh, well, first off, I'm going to say, uh, like Ralph and everyone else said, uh, go listen to the fucking Beatles, man. I mean, greatest band ever. Uh, you know, if, you have, if you're maybe not the biggest fan of Sgt. Pepper's or maybe really haven't given it a fair shake, I'd say go listen to it again. Set aside some time in the day and just put on some headphones and just listen to it beginning to end. 
Uh, but man, just go out and listen to some Beatles. Uh, but there's, uh, uh, an album I want to recommend and two YouTube channels. Uh, so I'm gonna make it real quick. Uh, the album I want to recommend, cause I was listening to it, uh, this, uh, today when I was driving around is the debut album from Ambush, uh, Firestorm. If you're a fan of like traditional heavy metal, you know, except Judas Priest, you know, Deanna era Maiden, I definitely recommend Ambush. Uh, they got three albums out. All of them are great, but, uh, the one that I'm specifically putting the spotlight on is their debut, Firestorm. It's got some great songs, uh, Don't Shoot, Let Burn, Close My Eyes, Natural Born Killers, which is Sam Wetz's favorite, uh, Ambush song, uh, Great fucking album. You love that old school traditional metal with, uh, you know, singers that can freaking hit them high notes like Halford. Ambush is your fucking band. Great, you know, new wave of traditional heavy metal band. And then uh, I want to recommend two YouTube channels. Um, if you're a fan of the Beatles or you, uh, you know, you want me to get into the Beatles, I recommend a YouTube channel called The Holly Bobs. Uh, this guy literally, like, this guy's a Beatles aficionado. He has videos where he just talks specifically about like one particular song by the Beatles, an album, certain facts about, you know, certain members. Uh, guy's got really fun, really informative videos. Um, so I, I recommend it to any, uh, Beatles fan out there. If you're on the, you know, Facebook page, uh, I'll be posting some of those tonight. Uh, or, you know, especially too after this episode's, you know, and after this episode's upload, I'll start posting some videos of his. And I also recommend uh, none other than Ralph Vieira's Cheap Trick Tube, which I've been binging a lot lately. I've been watching a lot of your Cheap Trick videos, uh, so I recommend watching those. They're fucking awesome. Thank you. Hell yeah. yeah. I, I always watch your Cheap Trick reviews as well. And w- what are you up to now? What's the latest? Che- Did you get to them all yet? No. Well, yeah, technically, but um, I'm going to go into... I already recorded, but I've been too busy to... I've been... Busy and lazy to edit. Uh, I already did reviews for the box set. Yeah, uh, Sex America. Oh yeah. Uh, that's uh, the, I think part one I already put up, but I haven't uh, done part two or three. I'm not doing all four discs because uh, most of, most of the discs are just songs off the album, so I'm just you know new takes and whatnot. Yeah, as songs that didn't make albums. And uh, yeah, Cheap Trick Tube is pretty much the funk though. I mean, it's still there, but I moved it all to my Almost Human channel. Yeah, but I mean, all you gotta do is uh, just type in on YouTube "Cheap Trick Tube" and you'll you'll see the Almost Human uh, little thing underneath it. Man, it's uh, just check out that whole channel. That whole channel is fucking awesome. Thanks, dude. And hell uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm a huge Cheap Trick fan. That's another band I, I'm really into. I put them up there with the Beatles. I really do. Yeah, uh, they, they, they really understood the Beatles, like, more yep. so than a lot of other bands. They're, they're my top five. They, 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 um, you know, they have a lot of clunkers, in my opinion, but when they're on, man, there's this dark cynicism underneath that pop music that's just so intriguing to me. You know, the, the it, dark... Those first four studio albums alone, if that was all they ever did, it yeah. all-time great. Yep. a lot of great stuff amongst the rest of the albums too it might not be as concentrated and as great in one album but there's a lot of great songs throughout their history oh yeah the, 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 every album has at least one song I love but you know yeah uh, there's something about Cheap Trick that you know they're, they're, they're American Beatles 
To me, mm-hmm. they are the American Beatles, but they have this undertone to it that that's evil. That not a lot of even the Beatles had that too. They had like some creepy kind of you know they, they hidden did. undertones. They did, but they didn't sing about hanging out around a high school trying to pick up little kids. Uh, Nielsen's yeah. lyrics yeah. to Robin Zander's voice was magic. And, you know, Beatles didn't sing about serial killers. I mean, yeah. they did a lot of weird, but it's, you know, you, you won't pick up on it unless you really analyze what they're saying. I mean, it's very... Look, I'll give you an example. of The very quirky song. Hello, how are you? Off of... Uh, Heaven oh yeah, Heaven Tonight. Me and Edwin just reviewed that. So it's all happy, but then in the middle, Robin goes, Hello, It sounds like a demented axe killer at the door. Yeah. You know, it's first like the prom date, really nice guy, and then he comes back as a fucking uh, an axe murderer. Yeah, like you find out, oh shit, this guy's actually crazy. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> a cheap trick, man. You listen to Big Eyes, you're like, Wow, this is a great song, Big Eyes. Talking about tits. Hell yeah. Mm. Yeah, that, that whole first album talks about, like, pedophiles and pedophiles all kinds of Serial killers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whores. Yeah, and Robin Zander, he, to me, he's like, I would combine, I would say his voice is like if McCartney and Lennon were combined. Yeah. Yes. It, it, like, imagine that. Like, there's an actual singer out there that's like Lennon and McCartney combined. Yeah, he can yeah. sing that power pop shit to, to, to the as good as anybody, Robin, but he can also do that evil, dark, heavy shit. Robin, as good as anybody. Do anything. Look, listen, listen to the screams in the middle of "Gonna Raise Hell." That's black metal. Yeah, and he's screaming "mother." That's black metal. And he could sing the hell out of a ballad. He could make a mediocre ballad like the uh, like the flame into a beautiful song because of his vocals, in my opinion. Like, he elevates the material. Like, he can sing pretty much... He can hand Robin Zander anything, and he, he turns it into gold. That's why I'll listen to his version of She's Leaving Home, because I might like that I'll version. That. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. It's, 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 quick, my it's recommendation uh, yeah. is that album I mentioned, well, two albums. Jellyfish, if you like Queen, if you like the Beatles. Early 90s band, they only had two albums. Uh, Belly Button was their first album, and then Spilt Milk was their second album. Uh, great, you know, Beatley, there's some Beach Boys in there, definitely. Uh, a little bit maybe even Super Trampin', like, like late 70s Super Tramp in there. Uh, really cool band if you like that, if you like that kind of power pop. Nice. Alright, cool. Yeah. And so now, uh, yeah, this is becoming like the end loop on the Sgt. Pepper. It's time to remove the needle. And say goodbye, everyone. It's been great. Thank you so much, Ralph and Ryan. You guys were both awesome. It was an awesome conversation. It was epic. It was worthy of this epic album. We had an epic conversation about it. And thank you again, guys, so much. Thank you. I had a lot of fun, man. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Love to both you guys. Blah, 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 blah,